internet. Pastor Fisk, Saturday morning chill. Lots to talk about this morning and also completely out of breath in a mad, hasty chase to find my headphone charging case so I could leave the headphones I'd been using all morning to charge so they'd be ready for me after the show and I couldn't find it so I had to leave it there and I'm running all over and I knew I had like 15 seconds to get back before the camera would like automatically go to live streaming here. So, sounds like my mic is a little hot. I did some recording live in another place this week with Pastor Kuntz. We did our a brief history of power for next Thursday, uh, face-to-face. You get an extra hour out of it, I believe. And a uh, really good conversation, a bit of a tangent one, if the others haven't been up to this point. If you haven't checked out A Brief History of Power, you really should. And, you know, what is my goal here as as a show? Well, it's to help you walk as a Christian in this crazy world, a Catholic Christian, which means that you believe what's always been believed because the Bible says so. And however you want to spin that and wherever we might want to debate what that means, you're here to listen because that's how you want to live. Like that, That's where you want to go, right? So A Brief History of Power is a, a spearhead point podcast out into the world of people maybe like you, maybe not like you at all, to try to jar them into asking a few real important questions about why they think what they think about the way the world works. Because most of what you probably assume, if you just assume what the TV tells you, is a lie. Uh, now, I'm not saying it's all like 100% lie, like the world's made of jello or cheese or something, but I'm more like that it's the 1% little bit 11 lie that's in almost everything that's being said that very gradually, if you're a Christian, has an effect on you in America, and that effect is you become worldly, and you don't know it at all. And now, how would I say this? Why would I say this? Is this pietism? Uh, maybe. Um, what is going on in my head is the recognition that if you're listening to the white noise and not countering it with a clear diet of the Word of God as an alternate way, a narrow path, yes, very much is available to your mind, your heart, your conscience today. Well, if you're not doing that and you're claiming Christianity, my guess is you're claiming a lot of other things as well, and they may or may not line up with what the Scriptures say. So what do we do here? Well, we try to ask those questions. We try to bring scripture to bear, and when we do, we go deep, um, and we also try to let common sense be, be common sense uh, as often as it can be as well. Uh, so in any case, a brief history of power then is a spearhead point into, who's our target audience? Well, under 40-year-old males, mostly, which if that's not you, well then just, that's okay. Like, it's cool to not be everything, right? Like, it's okay. <laughs> uh, and so, so if, it's, if it's not your cup of tea, just recognize there's a lot of young 40-year-old males out there looking for a stream of understanding, a counter-narrative to the culture. And the only ones available to them, generally speaking, are things like Islam, right? Christianity, when it presents itself, presents itself as effeminate religion. And, uh, well, you can't do that. Now, are, are, is A Brief History of Power, is it about Christianity? No. So I was talking with my wife about this. It's pretty important if you ever listen to the show. You know, we're not really there to get into the Bible because we're planning or hoping to talk to people and and debate with people who don't believe the Bible but believe other things we believe. Uh, and so we can we can work together and influence the good of society around us, which is a Christian's duty, right, uh, to owe uh, the debt of love to everybody. And, and so in that regard, it's geared at helping create this, oh, besides what Nickelodeon told you is true, maybe there's this other way of looking at how all those presidencies tied together into a big conglomerate thing that keeps taking more power to itself. How interesting, right? You can study this. So that's a brief history of power, and we're, we're, but we're also looking at the heart of man, uh, what it means for your mind, and then as a Christian, well then how do you walk in this dark and evil age? So in any case, I, I traveled, I was, that all came out of me just saying that I, um, uh, my, my 
levels were off with the mic. Um, traveled down to uh, the seminary this week on a kind of a flash trip, um, semi-spontaneous. Got to teach a little bit in a breakout, effectively a, a field education class. Um, really enjoyed that, uh, talking with the guys afterwards as well. Um, and uh, again, that brief history of power with Pastor Kuntz, uh, we really end up in a, in a lot of corners uh, by the time we're done. What I want to do also, though, right away this morning is I want to not forget to talk about uh, talking them into it, my, my new book. It, I've been following and tracking the numbers, which is really kind of nice. Like, the goal here is not to make money. The goal here is to get people to talk about Jesus because he's alive and it's true. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty good news in the, at the end of the day. Um, so uh, the goal is that. And so I'm, I know I'm not the only one trying to do that in the world. But in terms of my campaign, my campaign is largely rallying around this book and watching its sales be about one to four, depending digital and um, and paper, even though it's free digitally, uh, <laughs> uh, people still buy it, and actually more than the paper, which is strange. Um, uh, putting that out there, uh, I, this is the thing I want to keep coming back to and focusing on, and tracking those sales and what's being watched there will help me see how well what we're doing in, say, the Mad Christian Discord, or say with this show, how much of that is funneling back into a growth into uh, investment, right? That the people who are watching the show are now investing not just in watching the show, hey, kick back and write, take a few notes, but now you're going to take another level to your faith by adopting a book, smart noting that book, and engaging that book as, in this case, my book, right? That would, that would grow our community our vocabulary, uh, create a way for us to speak to each other. So let me, let me tangent here before we get to talk them into it, into this idea. I think this is one of the most important ideas that, that Kuntz and I chatted about. I don't remember if it's in the podcast or if it was just with uh, over the course of the weekend or the week, um, but I also had conversations in this direction, and it all has to do with what the class he taught and Dr. Scare, um, the elder, taught the next day that I got to audit, uh, hermeneutics, or, or the study of why we miscommunicate, right? Uh, how do we understand these things? I have come to believe that at this point in time, if the majority of your information is coming from something other than a long-form podcast, right? And so, so NPR doesn't count. Uh, it's got to be more like a Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan kind of thing. If it's not coming from a long-form podcast, if you're not reading books cover to cover on your own, listening doesn't count, although that's more like the long-form podcast, so that helps. Um, if you're not doing something like that in terms of long-form thinking with your language, then you are at the, at the beginning of a, a split in civilization based on language usage. And we can see it in the way people talk about politics a lot. You have, on both sides, people who talk with slogans and slogans only, and if you try to counter their slogan with information or a conversation, they just go to more slogans. I don't think that that's just about this particular thing, uh, the politics. I just think it's where we can see it soonest in civilization. But what's going to happen is the more you let your mind be formed by the media they tell you to watch that is not long-form talking, long-form understanding, things that make sense over the course of tangents that come back, the more you just have slogans and brands be the things that identify you and they tell you are the things that identify you, the less able you will be, a the less you will be able to have a real conversation about ideas. So we're going to find a, a lingual group arising within English that really can't have a conversation in, say, higher English or educated English. And these may still be, quote-unquote, educated people, because this isn't really about whether you can read a, a, a scientific journal and get the information to make the diagnosis. This is about uh, cross-platform information. This is about taking ideas from one situation and another, applying them, and that's when you get wisdom, right? You can see uh, contingencies and types in the world, all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, all of this is to say, right now, 
as my agenda for my family, for my congregation, and for you, my show, whoever just sits here and watches us long enough, is to help give us, as Catholic Christianity, a, a permanent and complete vocabulary for, for at least sloganing with each other in short in the world that we're trying to build, which is one where we're not being mind-controlled by a boob box, right? Uh, instead, we are being uh, uh, taught to, to think, believe, see, understand, perceive, and, and, and believe. Uh, at, at a certain level, what the scriptures say. Um, because, uh, start with the Proverbs, you'll find they say a whole lot of truth. Uh, even if you don't believe it yet, maybe that's the whole point, is is there because wisdom from of old has been garnered and you couldn't have possibly found it in your short lifetime. Um, so that kind of thing, a language that we share at the center. And so talk them into it then is an attempt, if you get into this and read this, this is, this is an attempt to build not just vocabulary or slogans, but a language of thinking, a way of thinking about conversion, a way of thinking about what you tell people about Jesus or what you want to feel comfortable saying about Jesus. Not everybody's going to be comfortable going into some existential conversation on the inner workings of the Trinity. And, and if we're teaching that to you, then there's no wonder you're not interested in it, right? But but I'm pretty sure it's important to you the reality that you have a king, a human king, who owns you outright. You're his bondservant. And even though you got up today and thought it was your life, it's actually not. You are bought. You are bought. You're not your own. Right? So remembering that every day is hard. <laughs> The world doesn't make that easy for you. Well, having a common language with people who say the same things help make that possible. This is where dogmatics is valuable in the history of traditions in Christianity. You know, you have your Lutherans, your Calvinists, all this kind of stuff. And I would contend I'm a Lutheran, and I'm pretty sure the Lutherans say what the Scriptures say. And others have some moments where they don't. But what's valuable about that process of dogmatizing is, is recognizing there was a shared vernacular. There was a common language about the Bible that they all could build on and trust at all times. That's been lost no matter what denomination you're in at this point. It's just complete catastrophe across the board, right? I, nobody can talk to each other without using all sorts of words that really don't mean much at all. And so if you want to form a group that grows together, that gets wiser together, then you have to build that language back up by finding common language in the scriptures, ideally, right? You're building on what the scriptures actually say, not your opinion of it, right? Even if it's translated differently than it was 200 years ago, it's still what the, the texts actually say. You're, you're building on that reality as a group. So... Going through this book together, slowly over years, um, as I rewrite it, <laughs> right, slowly over years, until it's really actually good and not just kind of good, um, that's going to be good for all of us, and that's why I want to do it. And tracking the sales of that will track how well we're talking to others about what we believe about Jesus, right? Um, and uh, uh, hopefully that, that is a, what, a harbinger? Uh, it's a good sign. That this right now the sales are this steady low, but they're not dropped off entirely. So that low curve is investment, and if it's actually any good, the investment will return. If it's a crappy book, <laughs> if it doesn't say anything good, you know, no one's going to recommend it or do what it says. So, um, so you're buying in, testing. You know, let me know your questions and comments on the side, or go to revfist.com/contact for stuff. We got a little low on the comments coming in for for asking the last two weeks. So uh, poor poor Frisbee sitting there bemoaning that there's not enough for me to talk about for two hours. She she clearly is worried about things one need not worry about. 
Uh, but uh, it'd be nice if you have these questions, if you're going through the book particularly. I can say I have been, um, uh, uh, not contracted, but uh, we've agreed uh, that I'm going to do a couple of teachings on this book this fall via the internet to some places, and I hope to live stream those as much as I can here. Um, and we talked last week as well, the, the book tour in the spring down to Texas and back. Um, if you want to connect with that, uh, you'll need to go to riffist.com slash contact. Send in to Frisbee there. Frisbee, send that to my wife. Um, we're, we're planning that trip down. We've got a couple stops on the way. The goal is just to go along and build this common language with each other around he is risen. I mean, we all should be able to say that, right? You are paid for. I mean, is there any Christian that can't say that? Well, I mean, this is like the, the point, right? You are paid for. Um, you're immortal now. I mean, I'm pretty sure we can all say that, right? Uh, and, and then uh, he won't be long anyway. That's where we're going to get in a little debate, right? Uh, the water seals it. Ooh, it gets tougher, right? But from the beginning here, where do we build? We build around what we know that Jesus has risen. All right, so I don't have anything from the book to show you today. I started my research on how to build all this kind of stuff, and I realized, oh my goodness, the stuff you want to buy is at the level that you have to call a contractor to talk to him about it. You can't just look at it and buy it, and that scares me. <laughs> financially. Um, so uh, just don't expect uh, the over-the-top camera too soon unless I get lucky. Um, but we'll see if we can get a digital version uh, of this coming your way in the next couple of weeks like on the screen. And I could have done it if I thought about it before right now. Um, yeah, we're going to be on page 18 if you have it. And it says at the very top, uh, let your common sense be evident to all. We're following up on uh, last week looking at Nobody Wins More People for Jesus by Trying Harder. Remembering that at the end of the day is the Spirit's job to convert the other person. You don't not participate. You certainly do participate in winning people for Jesus according to the confession which the Spirit speaks through you as he did the prophets of old. Um, that's a humbling and an awesome thing to think about. Uh, it does not mean you should try less. In fact, you should give it your all, knowing that the only thing you could possibly do is not give it your all and therefore get in the way and drive uh, yourself away by refusing to listen. Now, generally, fear is not going to help you here, right? It's instead certainty. It's certainty that Jesus will do the work. And so when you're in a conversation and someone doesn't want to believe in Jesus, rather than thinking, what can I say in order to fix this? Instead, believing they're rejecting Jesus right now, and that's on them. I'll listen for what they think they need to hear next and see if I can help them with it. Uh, because that's the only way to get them back, right? So that's where then the next thing you do is let your common sense be evident to all. What you really want to be, if you're going to be someone who talks other people into Jesus, is not the nut job who knocks on every door. You could do this knocking on doors and still come off pretty well if you listen to what I'm going to say next. But the goal is you're not going to go and try to like browbeat people into Jesus somehow. Instead, you want to be a person who, whenever a person talks, you listen well. Well enough that when they finish with what they think they wanted you to hear, you're able to hear it well enough that you can respond with a kind, affirming, encouraging, and fulfilling idea, even if it conflicts with what they said. You're striving to let your common sense be what people find when they talk to you. Now, honestly, I think I do this well with people who don't actually know me, and really poorly, uh, the more you get to know me. Uh, I get too emotionally involved in things. Um, but the point is, in either case, it's always the task then not to say, how can I convert this other person? Uh, or how can I find the trick to make them this and that? I instead, 
is the question, how can I be more ready to respond wisely when people talk to me? Worry about that more, even than any particular individual and their, their need you think they have. Be ready, then, to have common sense about their needs and all needs, because their needs might be completely different from yours. You might think they need this, but they need something completely different, and they think that too. And you wouldn't know that until you're able to like listen long enough to have the common sense be evident. And that's why, you know, keep it simple. It's the first thing it says. If you're trying to, if you've got someone in mind you're praying about, you're thinking about, you would like to convert them, uh, don't create a great plan. Don't do it. Don't even try to create a great plan. You are not the author of this thing. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that a worker would be sent to convert this person. And then acknowledge that you're in the presence of the Lord and this person. And so say, Lord, if that would be me, that'd be awesome. That'd be really great, right? And I'll be open now to this idea. As opposed to, here's what I'm going to do to make my friend a Christian. (laughs) It's not going to work. And then secondarily, the next line seems like it's a bit of a tangent, but it's really not. Remember, this book is meant to be read like a page a day and slowly. Like if there's a paragraph break, you're not supposed to go on right away. And so there's a sentence by itself as a paragraph. You really want to take a second on it, right? Reread it even. Read it once, read it twice, read it three times. And I get that's not the way most books are written. Most books are written for you to be spoon-fed, candy-fed, a very Jane and John go up the hill story, maybe mishmashed and pulp fictioned up out of order in order to keep you entertained for the novelty of the whole thing, but you're not really asked to ponder ever. Flash, 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 don't think at all, don't have time. And so this book, if you are going to read it, I mean, I'm, I'm hitting multiple birds with one stone here. I'm telling you, you want to learn to talk about Jesus, you got to slow down and smart note this book. First page says it, I think, right? Write notes on what I say, which means each sentence that doesn't make sense, you're going to have to figure out why those sentences are together. And that's to your benefit by the way, if you can make those connections, because they'll be yours. And then when you make them, they will have an impact on you, both in terms of how you talk about Christ and then also how you, if you're smart noting, how you think about everything. So your common sense is going to get more common sensey. is what I would, can I promise it to you? I mean, it's a first article reality. You can, you can like lazy yourself out of it, like pretend to try and fake it and then call me a liar, I suppose, if you want. But these are things that are like, you should consider this a law of the universe, that the Lord built humans. So if you read something, which is weird that we can even do that, and then you like write something different, but it's the same idea, like that makes your mind grow superpowers every time. And they combine and just get wiser and clearer and cleaner. And the more you would write on that same topic or shift it or rewrite it, the more that happens. This happens in the digital space, but I'm going to contend nowhere near like it happens in the analog space. That's the written space for those of you who haven't read enough to know that analog is a way to say pen and paper. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. And I mean, I mean or, or jerky of me, I suppose. Fear no man is the real point. So after you've decided not to make a plan, the second thing you have to decide is that you're not going to be afraid of the opportunity when it shows up. Which means, well, it means a lot of things. You're praying for one individual. You think they need Jesus. And next thing you know, for the next three weeks, some other individuals in your life annoying the heck out of you. This could mean a million different things, and I'm not going to read the mind of Christ or Satan on the matter, but I'm going to tell you, if that's what's going on, the gift God gave you is what's in front of you. And whether, why you would not be dealing with this other person and seeing them as a, what, target for service? (laughs) Uh, Target for for ministry? Target for confessing the faith with wisdom and common sense? 
right? Maybe that's what you're supposed to be learning about at the moment. While you're worried about this over there, God's like, I'm going to teach you. Hmm? And what he wants to teach you again is to fear no man so that whoever is in your path, you see as that opportunity to talk about Jesus too. Not just the person you're praying for, but every single human, Christian or not, because we all need to hear it more. You're not hurting Christians by telling them he is risen and you're paid for. Have a good day. No one gets, well, no actual Christian gets mad about that. So then you also would be doing that to other people, right? And it would grow. But why don't we do that to other people? Because we're afraid of them. That's why. The reason you don't talk about Jesus is because you're afraid. The reason it's hard to walk somewhere with a giant crucifix in your hand is because you're afraid. <laughs> that that's the emotion that's running us. And frankly, the scriptures don't speak of Christianity that way. This is not to say that you are not a Satan sinner. You absolutely are a Satan sinner. And you're going to struggle with that reality and that fear your whole life. But neither is that fear to be the only experience you know in your mind, your heart, right? There, there's, a, there, there's a counter spirit telling a different story. Uh, and the story is one of, be not afraid. There's nothing to fear. Yeah, it's a giant screaming monster of pain in your face. And it's a big fat lie and a boogeyman from your closet. It feels real real. And it, it, I mean, in terms of the first article creation, it is real. But it's not as real as the future that God is bringing in Christ. Every fear ultimately can be handled this way. In real time, it's pretty tough. And if you're never going to try it like not in real time, then it's never going to happen in real time. It's like a muscle. It's like martial arts. You're in a real conversation. Something happens. It triggers your heart in some dangerously traumatic and painful way, right? It's a fear. It's, it's a terror. It's an anxiety. It arises within you. And if you've never practiced like blocking a punch and a punch gets thrown, you're going to get punched in the face. You don't practice blocking a punch against actual punches. You practice blocking a punch when there are no punches around. That's what you have to do with your mind, with your words. Books help with this. This is books just do this. This is why reading and writing from books is so valuable to you. You can also streamline Tim Ferriss hack this into your life with fear by doing something called fear setting. And fear setting just means when you're not in the fear anymore, you get away from it somewhere. Write down what you were really afraid of. Whatever it was that made you scared. I'll just use taxes. Every time I have to think about taxes, like I end up in jail somehow. And I'm not the only person who feels this way because David Allen talks about it and getting things done. He has the same imagination I do. Whenever you imagine, you imagine the full extent all the way to the very end. Epic story, including your death. <laughs> and it, you know, you're doing that every three minutes. It, it can be wearing on the mind. Um, so when I do that, though, now, when I catch myself in that moment, I do. I think it through. What's the worst thing that could happen? Okay, I just said the worst thing that happened is taxes. I go to jail because somehow I messed up on my taxes so bad that they won't just let me pay my way out of it, which is what they always do all the way up to like the highest levels because it's really a scheme to get money, by and large. I mean, they'll put you away for other reasons too, Dinesh D'Souza, but <sighs> tangent, tangent, tangent. <laughs> uh, scared of the IRS. Worst thing that happens, what, guy in a black suit knocks on my door. Um, he, you know, flashes a thing in my eyes. I forget my whole life. And the next thing I do, I wake up in an alien jail cell somewhere because the cosmic police have picked me up for questioning the IRS, right? What do I do now? I pray the Psalms and I say the creed. That's what I do now. And I've been spending the last year trying to tell myself that that'll work. And amazingly, guess what? In the little stuff, it kind of does, <laughs> right? And like, like the further into crazy you could get with your fear and then counter it with what you know can't be a lie when you're not in the middle of it. And you'll find that when you're in the middle of it, it starts to poke its head out. Just, just, just baby, baby pokes. Super baby pokes. Like you can't rely on none of this, right? As soon as you rely on it, it's going to fall apart because that's you. But the fact is, words about Christ over time repeated have an impact. They just, they just do, right? So fear no man 
means so that whoever you're facing, it might not be your job to convert them today, but one more chink in the iron. He is risen. Have a nice day. I haven't gone that far yet. Imagine that. Everywhere you go, forget Merry Christmas. He is risen. Have a nice day. Smile. Eyeball contact. Go. I, I'm normal. You're weird. <laughs> right? We don't have that. Imagine mad Christianity. Imagine what kind of impact we can make if we didn't just wear like the symbols of the world around us, or whatever this thing is right here, um, and not just wear the symbols of the world that we believe we belong to, although I think that's less and less these days, but imagine if we spoke the symbols. Imagine if the symbols became the language we shared, and if this from the Holy Spirit's giving us of Holy Scripture um, empowered us to, to fear no man when we said it, to act like they're the weird ones for not being part of our very small way of walking to paradise on the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus. That's just two sentences for pity's sakes. Uh, in everything by whisper or groan, pray for the dying man. Yeah. Right? So don't make a plan. Realize you're really going to have to overcome your fear of talking to the people you don't plan to talk to. That's the real issue. And so start praying for all the people who don't believe, right? Praying for the dying world uh, and for the opportunity to be one dead man raised with enough confidence to be, saw, to be seen as worthy by the Lord to be given a follower, uh, to be given someone who would listen to you speak about Christianity, which, by the way, all your parents already have that uh, in front of you. And so if you're not doing that, why would he give you others? Mm, um, yeah, well, that hit, that hit me too. So don't feel too bad about that one. I mean, ouch. <laughs> uh, uh, with thanksgiving in your heart for Jesus, beg for the souls of your countrymen, your children, and the present age. Um, I think that's I think that's good, right? That's, that's you can't go fast though. Don't read this like it's like it's twilight. I mean, it's it's not. Um, it's not even broken. I mean, broken will make you slow down a little bit. Uh, Echo can go pretty fast through, I think. Um, and uh, well, it depends. Depends. Huh. I'm gonna take a little bit of break here and come back with your questions and answers because I just got distracted and don't even know what I'm doing. So I'll see y'all in a moment. All right, so I, I'm, we're going to go to your questions and answers in a moment. I want to share this with you uh, as a as a, a wreck, basically. Um, this week, I was studying Jude uh, for the minor feast of St. Jude and St. Simon, which is confusing because there is both a, a Jude and a Simon who we know very little about in the Apostles, and then there is both a Jude and a Simon in Jesus' family. <laughs> uh, and they, they all are martyrs. They all are people of the church. We know some about some of them. The brothers are the ones who wrote the books in the Bible, though, not the Apostles. And in any case, as a result, I started doing a little looking. I got really into James last week. That was fascinating. I looked at his history, his story. He's mentioned in the Bible, so there's a lot there. Jude? The brother of Jesus, very, very, very little. Uh, his book is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, is it so good? And I'll be preaching in detail on it this weekend. So tomorrow around what, 11-ish on this channel live that it'll be going um, and whatnot. But one thing I found as I was looking, because I couldn't find anything, and I don't, I don't have the greatest theological library ever. Every, any, ever. It's, it's, it's a minimized library. Um, I keep the good books. Um, and the best ones are expensive and I can't buy all of them. So so I don't have uh, a source. I didn't have a source handy for looking at uh, Jude's life or seeing if I can find some other thing about the tradition of it. You know, the, the, New, the New Testament book, uh, um, Carson Moon Morris, uh, is that the one? I think that's the right one. Um, 
Really disappointing, actually. So busy arguing against liberals that they don't really tell you what we know or could know or might be true. And and that's that's kind of sad. Um, it shows how much uh, the conversation has been an apologetic on every level, level. This book's an exegetical book, and it's not. It's an apologetics book. It's defending Christianity as a Christian textbook against Christian teachers teaching it's not true. It's really a weird thing. At a certain point, you just kind of got to give up on the system and start your new system, right? <laughs> so, in any case, well, I found a far more useful book in this one, which I bought for my kids years ago. It's about 30 bucks, I think, on Amazon. It's beautifully done. The entire comic book is incredible. It's based on the voices of the martyrs, and so it is a little graphic um, because that's the real history that we have. The, the section on Jude, so nicely done. I, I, all I can do is just say, so nicely done. For a guy we know so little about, it really helped us, helped bring out the idea of growing up with an older brother who everyone knew was great at stuff, but you guys didn't really quite understand, who suddenly vanishes and then comes back and won't talk to you guys and you keep asking what's going on, and then he dies, right? Like, and then, and then he shows up and your brother says he's, he's alive, and like, 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 that's Jude's life, right? Who is this guy? And one of the things I've been getting to question now, since we know so little about him, and the dating of the book, given Dr. David Scare's argument in James the Apostle of Faith for the early dating of James that I'm fully in favor for. It's just so obvious, I think, once you, once you put the pieces together. Um, I'm wondering if Jude is not also, likewise, a very, very early book, earlier than Second Peter for sure, um, and whether or not it's language then, if we, take, if we take the time to read it the way we should read James, which is not as post-Pauline, but as pre-Pauline church language, um, you find song. I think I think James is a poet. I think he was an early hymnist. Um, and uh, not James, Jude. I mean, Jude is an early hymnist. I don't know how much I'll get into this in the text tomorrow, but certainly the end of the book, you see it. And you have to believe that there was an oral tradition in the early church. They they had the Bible, meaning the Old Testament, but they didn't have the Bible, meaning the New Testament. These guys, are the guys, are going to write it, right? Uh, but what they do have is they sat and talked and knew Jesus, right? Jude, some, not as much as the apostles. So he has to listen to them and defer to them a little bit. He's the one who writes to go and not teach anything different than what the apostles came to teach. And that's what his story is about. And, and, but then in that, there are these moments of what seem like extreme song, extreme poetry, particularly in the group, the very end of the book being it, so that you can imagine that closing that's at the end of Jude is something that would have been either sung or said regularly in the Jerusalem church before this. Right, and now it's being tagged on to a letter to the diaspora, the dispersion of those. Now, he doesn't say dispersion, though, so that's an interesting argument. any case, I just wanted to share that with you and share this resource, that this comic book, uh, well, a graphic novel, um, The Martyrs, uh, by, let's see, who makes it? K. Kingstone. Um, they also got one on the Apostles. This is the kind of thing I wish I could do. It's so amazing. And the comic book, Ancient Legacy, that we're working on, it, it doesn't do the exact same thing, but it's sort of like the dream to be like this someday. Um, that is still out there, by the way. Shadow Broker is really doing the digging. Now that we've got our subscriptions uh, almost over or close to over 1,000 on the Mad Monday's newsletter, we know we can start the, the process of building up Indiegogo uh, or some other um, fundraising arm in the hopes of congealing around the first issue of Ancient Legacy. Um, so that, that's that been a plan for like a year and a half that we've been, everything else we're doing, Mad Discord, Mad Mondays, is like to make that eventually happen. These guys are already doing it, and they're doing it well. So all I can say is, you know, like, do more, guys, whoever you are, and go buy these things. They're just, they're just really, really good. Really, really good. All right, so that said, um, I was not planning to necessarily be right here, but so much as here. Oh, oh, wrong button. Nope. Wrong window. There it is. So,
Nope. Nope. Got to pause that. We're going to have possibly a thing to listen to here in a moment, but we're going to start with a sip of coffee and Emily. Emily says, thanks for the chill every week. You're welcome. I largely enjoy it when I'm not afraid of messing it up. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, like it's a bounce, bounce back and forth between those two things. It's been a great way for me to start off my week. It's good. And that's what I want to provide, right? Um, Saturday morning, that is going to build, build the day. I'm a single woman in my 20s. I have ended two relationships with good Christian men in the last couple of years because something didn't feel right. Okay. Interesting. Um, intuition is the word I'd rather you used here as opposed to feel. Feel is a very bland word. You had an intuitive sense, right, that something was wrong. Now, we're going to talk about this more because that's where your question is going to go. But I want to say at the start is that is neither automatically right or wrong. That's how humans are. And generally, the rule of thumb is listen to it. Because even if it's factually wrong, it's telling you something else that you should learn about how you're misinterpreting the facts, right? So it's always important to listen to your intuition, even if you're like, my intuition is probably wrong right now. Why is that? You want better intuition. You got to train it, right? So, um, so it's not what, we're, what I want to talk about now. Is like, okay, these things are done. You did it. You followed intuition. That's normal and healthy. Actually, you might have had the wrong intuition, but better to have a tendency to trust your intuition and have the wrong one and be able to learn how to fix it than to never trust your intuition and get into all sorts of trouble because you kept keep self doubting, right? Um, uh, raise my hand. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay. You end, uh, something that feel ambiguous, not good, and you ended these things quickly both times. So before I go any further, my question would be, who else was involved with you in making these decisions? Who else was involved with you in courting and ordaining these men? Was your pastor's pastor pastors involved in this uh, in some way so that he could advise or understand where you were? I'm not saying bring your pastor on your first date, but if you've you know had a couple of dates and this is a thing, like go in and sit and talk with the pastor about, you know, what do we do next? How do we be wise right now? Um, and your family, in theory, is given by God for you to help you with this, although I understand we live at the collapse of a civilization and there are no families left. So that makes that a little more difficult. Um, pray for the patriarchy. <laughs> That's all I can say. Pro patriarchy. I'm on it. I'm done hiding from that word. Uh, if we don't recapture fatherhood, we're on, we're on grand trouble. Uh, so I pray for the patriarchy. It's a good thing. And those who shout otherwise are tyrants. Uh, yes. Um, so Moving on. As far as I can tell, we in the LCMS aren't very interested in talking about how things feel most of the time. Well, it depends. We are Germanic, and so when it comes to decision-making, we will use the facts only. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're wrong, though. There's a lot of feelies in the LCMS. There's so much feelies in the LCMS. We let feelies run all sorts of stuff in the LCMS that we have no business letting the feelies into. It's just what you're probably noticing is that there are individuals who don't like that, and then they go at the feelies rather than at the thing itself, right? Or maybe they get, how can you say it? If you've been scarred enough times, you've been attacked enough times in a certain way, you start to overreact against the thing. So then someone comes and they're like, well, this feels good. And you're like, no feelings in church, right? I mean, <laughs> so you're right and you're wrong. We in the LCMS are not very interested in talking about reality most of the time. That's the issue. We're not unique. We in the United States are not interested in talking about reality most of the time we prefer to tell stories that help us ignore what's in front of our faces we prefer to live in dream worlds and imagination worlds than the real world whether that's via video games or whether that's via movies tv even books so it's harder to do that in books your body notices the pain of sitting more when you're reading uh, than when you're watching crazy how that is it might be because it's a drug i don't know yes i do <laughs> so in any case we ignore reality and 
in that sense, we ignore feelings that are hard. If the feeling would be difficult to deal with, we do not. As a unit, as a group, you're right. Whatever that means, LCMS culture, I've been in enough congregations to know we share this. Where did we get it? Coming across which boats? I don't know. I don't really care, I guess, in a sense. Although a brief history of power does dig into that kind of stuff. The fact is, you're right. Uh, we've managed to build a nice little game of hiding from things, including nasty feelings that might cause trouble. And let me spin this in like the best potential like construction on our ancestors. Imagine for a moment that you live in like Norway, right? Or from Norway down into Amsterdam, into northern Germany. Uh, in the winter, where there is no plumbing or no electricity, in the small town you live, in which there are 25 people, of which you're married to like your second cousin or something, but you know, it's not so bad. Um, winter's coming. And there's a big fight between these two guys over there over not a big deal at all. And they're not going to get the crops done unless we all passive-aggressively shame them into living together in safety. <laughs> Sorry, I said best construction. But that's literally what happened. Like, in, in, the, in the course of needing to survive in cold climates, these, these patterns of what you could call white behavior, frankly, um, at least in some circles. East Coast white's very different, though. They're not like this, which is why LCMS can't get over there at all. Um, it's because we're, we're just so different. Uh, but it comes from these cold climates of survival where the men effectively couldn't let things get far enough out of control emotionally or we all died of starvation and, and hunger. And so things just got nipped in the bud as a pattern. I'm not saying it's a good pattern or the best pattern. And then over time and with adding mod modernization, um, the, the progressive uh, growth of industrialization to that same pattern, that's what we're now dealing with. It's just like, dear heavens. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really out of touch with ourselves then. We don't live in that world, and we're letting the TV tell us who we are all the time. So, yeah, um, when that comes into conflict with what's going on in your church, when you have people that have different languages trying to have a conversation about different things that they both are worshiping, both of which are idols, neither of which are founded on scripture, and the pastor's in the middle trying to like figure out how to help them all decide not to hate each other, right? Um, it gets real really fast. And it's if you're, a, if you're an organization that just doesn't want to close the doors, it's a lot easier to sweep it under the rug, not talk to each other, and just keep the club open than to talk about real stuff. Feel me? Oh, did I say that? Oh, I dropped the mic just on that one right there. Feel me. Yes. Um, so, as far as I can tell, uh, yeah, talking points fall along these lines. Feelings are fleeting, so you don't base your faith on them. Now, there is something very real to that statement. Um, look to Scripture and let God's Word be your guide, which I agree with. Well, I don't know how you would ever look to Scripture and not get a feeling from it, right? So, the, the trick here, again, is not to, not to start with feeling, but to realize that feeling is created by God, and where God creates the best is in his holy word. He creates there your faith. Your faith will experience feelings. Those feelings may or may not be the ones you think you want. Because frankly, until God gives you the right ones, you're going to think they're the wrong ones. You're going to say, I don't want more pain, until you realize that pain actually is part of pleasure. And they are built into the same system of your nerves. And you know this just as science would tell you. And so a world without pain doesn't make sense. Maybe you misunderstand what you're feeling at any given time. And I'm not saying we shouldn't alleviate pain in this life, take a Tylenol, for goodness sakes. The point is, your perspective on things is, as a, as a young Christian, as a new Christian, as an American Christian, your perspective is worldly <laughs> on what you think you want, on what you think you need to feel. Because the real feelings that Christianity it, it grows out of you are not soft. They're not easy. 
They are terribly good, though. And, and, well, to get there, you have to deal with the real stuff, right? You can't ignore what's really in front of you. And to get there, you have to believe that the scriptures talk about that, as opposed to some grand theory of understanding of the cosmos, right? Which is sort of how we tend to teach it. And so, absolutely, if your concern is that in the LCMS, we've gotten a bit esoteric with the way we talk. Yep, you're right on that one. Um, Did I just? Maybe. I don't know. Um, Feel me? Ha! Doesn't work as well the second time. As a result of this, Emily goes on, in most choices, I have tried to let logic lead me and not trust my feelings because they don't last. Now, see, that's, that's really important, okay? So this is where intuition is a feeling that your body is telling you because of something. And it could be your past, it could be your present. And both of those things are important always to what's going on in the moment and your understanding of it. In that regard, your feelings never do last. But that doesn't mean they're not right. <laughs> they might be very right. How would you know if they're right? Well, do they line up with truth? Right? Uh, do you consider it all joy? Uh, joy is really wrong. Do you consider it all comfort when you face trials? Have you taken the most recent trial and tried to consider it a comfort? Have you just taken that challenge? Consider the trial a comfort. How could it be? Right? And, and that process, again, that's the one we avoid because it, it takes time. This isn't an LCMS thing. This is a we're on the clock thing. You can't get wise in a hurry, and we're trying to do it on the clock every Sunday in an hour. Check in, check out. I'll be good with God. Right? And yeah, you're concerned about that. You should be. Does that mean word and sacrament is not efficacious? No, of course it's efficacious. We've been Christians this whole time. Even if you haven't thought about this stuff, are you getting the baptism and the supper in Jesus? Are you being forgiven of your sins? It's all working. The question is, as the world ramps up its hatred of Christianity, are you, like, you going to wake up or not? You know, We've had it pretty easy for a while. We might have been about to fall off an edge. I don't know. Well, fire under your backside don't hurt, though. Not, it hasn't hurt me. It's been great. It's been great. So as a result of this, in most choices, yeah, you, you, you want to let the feelings be part of the decision-making, but you want to understand the feelings with your mind and, and be able to call the feeling a lie. The thing is, your mind can lie to you, your heart can lie to you, and when both are happening, your mouth will be lying to other people. So um, it's not that you don't want to hear what your heart and your mind are saying. You want to be able to then test it according to what the scriptures say. And then follow scripture instead of your heart when they disagree. But if there's nothing in scripture disagreeing with your intuition, and there's nothing in common sense disagreeing with your intuition, well, then it's probably pretty good. Like, that's a trained intuition. Now, maybe I'm not helping. I don't know. Um, let's, let's continue on. I have thought for a while that the logical option in life will be the path that God wants you to follow. Uh, depends on how you define logic, really. Do you mean... Because logic doesn't stand by itself. I mean, it's, it's the law of non-contradiction. So... What do you think doesn't contradict? Uh, does it contradict to uh, get married and do things that nobody else is doing at a young age? You know, that's not logical, according to some. So if you're just going to say logic, you have to decide what the logic is. And that's where I'm going to argue that the scriptures are the logic, the logos, the word, the, the rule of normativeness that, that you would follow. And that's why you should trust the scriptures over your heart. Like if, if, it's, if it's between me and my mind or me and my heart and scripture and I'm a betting man who likes winning, I, this is, I mean, this is such a pagan way of saying it, but like I bet on scripture. Are you kidding me? What do you like? Unless you're just frankly unbelieving, which you aren't. So, you know, someone who was watching might be, but um, uh, bank on scripture over your heart. But that doesn't mean your heart shouldn't be understood or that your heart isn't telling you something about what's wrong or even the scripture is telling your heart that something else is wrong and someone, you know, so it's, it's not simple, right? You can't get wise fast. Um, 
Alternatively, alternatively, I have considered the idea that in most choices, Emily says, God really doesn't care what choice we make. Sort of yes. Um, yes. Just careful. The way you said it could be like heard really wrong, right? But, but actually what you're trying to say, yes, absolutely. Um, it doesn't matter to him which choice you make specifically of a spouse or employer as long as you are faithful in your vocation or spouse or employee uh, after either choice is made. Yes. Although he will have planned it. So it does matter to him because he knows. But his task is not, hey, I'm going to hide who it is until you tricky figure it out. But you can get it wrong. Be careful. Right? No, 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 no. So far as you approach it, it really should not matter. Like you could marry any faithful man and he and you could be faithful to each other and it would work. Depending on your level of patience and love, it could work really well, or it could take a while. You know, if you're a real narcissist, I mean, just just completely stuck on yourself and want to live the American life forever, no matter what, it's always going to get better and always be happy and lots of like sugar and happiness forever. You guys are going to have a little tougher time of it. It's going to be tough uh, with all that chaos running around, right? But the point is, yeah, you could marry anyone. And once you believe that, then the one you marry is the one the Lord wants you to marry. I mean, he's actually, he's doing this, not you. It goes back to what I was saying with the Talk to the Menduit segment. Like, with marriage, it doesn't start anywhere else but prayer, man, woman. <laughs> um, you, you, really, I mean, look at Psalm 127. It's about marriage and children. And, and it says, if the Lord doesn't do this, it's not going to happen. You're, you're wasting your time. So um, pray for it and then believe, uh, yeah, indeed, it doesn't matter. So you're right. You don't have to get super anxious over, what if I pick the wrong one and then it won't work? No, 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 no. Creation is built to keep working even when we mess it up. It's been doing a great job. I and mean, we're, we're beating it hard as, as we try to, but, but more or less it keeps coming back, right? So yeah, I don't think you have to worry about the institution of marriage so much as your trust in the institution of marriage. How much are you willing to really bank on that, right? Um, and this goes with everything else, too. Now, is there a point at which there are signs where God's like God's word would be very clear, common sense would be very clear, people around you is very clear? No, you're really making a bad decision. Your feelings are blinding you. You have no idea what you're doing. You're completely being led by the nose, and you're going to end up in a terrible relationship? Yes. Yes. I mean, so you should still be careful. Like, my advice could be taken by someone who's, who's completely blinded themselves in a bad relationship and then uses ammo against all the common sense out there that would tell them to slow down. So, you know, slow down, you know, think about these things. You don't just go get married on a whim to the first guy that shows up at church and says he wants to teach Sunday school. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, by the way, um, what we're telling our kids, in case you want to know, is uh, they need to know each other for a year before they are engaged for a year. If that's ever really like if you plan it, it should be no, no less than that. Um, why? Because the time to really know each other takes time. And the only reason you want to go faster is because you've already gotten to know each other too much in the wrong way. <laughs> uh, so, so if you really want to marry someone wisely, you're not even really trying to marry anybody. You're trying to get to know Christianity and Christian men for who they are. And you will find that two of you talk about the same things a lot and can listen to each other. It'll just happen. Rather than trying to like play the game of you know meat market of Christianity, it's, we're supposed to be different, and and well, we're supposed to be different. Um, so I think you're right, though. Ultimately, in this thing, like stop ag- for you personally, stop agonizing over your decisions. Seriously, make a decision. God will clean it up. Um, don't stop learning the word. Obviously, right? Make decisions according to the word. Talk to your pastor. Talk to Christian friends. Ask them their advice. Um, that's what they're there for. 
It's, I, I learned this week, I knew this uh, intuitively, but it made me very sad when I learned this week, that the rabbis are world-renowned for their wisdom. People who aren't Jews listen to rabbis when they talk because they make sense. Do you know how? It's embarrassing that we're unknown. Or that if we're known, we're a, we're a curse word. Um, and that goes for not Catholic Christianity, which is why I'm using that term. Notice how that's not a bad term? No? If I say Lutheran, right? if I say Catholic, right? um, Christians are right. Evangelical. They're all bad words. Isn't that weird? Uh, I think it's weird. Um, the world is attacking language. You have your last sentence here, Emily. So how much weight do you think I should put in feelings when it comes to big decisions? Well, I think you shouldn't go against your feelings. Luther said to go against conscience is neither safe nor wise. And there's something to that. Like if your conscience is screaming, don't do it, well then don't do it. <laughs> and you might, you might be wrong. It's okay. God will forgive you. But like, don't, don't lie to yourself, basically. Right? And if your feelings are screaming it's wrong, it means your head's lying. Like you need your head and your heart to be like tied to each other somehow. It's not you need head knowledge or heart knowledge and all that nonsense from the LCMS 80s. That's just about getting the church to not be the church. But there is a fact that the intellect and the emotions must be brought into harmony with each other, the mind and the heart. And that this is what happens when one speaks most, right? You have your whole body becomes uh, who you are in breath. You know, the very thing the scriptures tell us is who we are in Ephesus. Uh, there's, there's, there's an amazing reality there. And so you should not go against it. Don't breathe against yourself. But neither presume that you are right. You might be making the worst decision, and that's okay. So this is, this is maybe where that fear no man thing from earlier comes back. Like, hello, Christians in America. Do you know it's okay to make the wrong decision? Like, we're not even talking morality right now. We're just talking like, oops, I didn't choose the perfect path to get to the Oregon Trail ending. Right? Like for me, that's what I was always dying in rivers and stuff. It's, oh, but in my life, it's supposed to be. Right? And then, how snowflakey is that? Right? Uh, the fact is, you're going to have a lot of stuff go wrong in life, and it's all right. It's all right. Uh, you can build and build and build and make it all just right. It's going to get torn down because some moron, you know, three miles over does something that ruins it all. You get up, you say the creed, you go on. Right? So, that, that, how much do you think your emotions should be in your big decisions? I think they should be at least half of your big decisions. The other half is your mind and your emotions. And then both of these things need to be with other people you trust, who you know make good decisions, who you've seen the results. Wisdom is justified by her children. You've seen the results of their life. You've seen what their children look like, whether they're young or preferably old, right? And out. And they launched, right? Listen to those people. Um, People whose children are still in the faith, if you can find them. Ask them what they did. Uh, That kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Should the logic of the feelings take precedent? Ah, Uh, you are both of those things together. And at the moment where your feelings are overriding your logic, your logic knows it's wrong. <laughs> so so it's, it's, not, it's not quite the right question. But what I hope you're getting from me in this is that the human is a, is a whole person, is threefold. We are threefold. And that threefoldness is that within this form, this, this dust that breathes, I experience not only its impact on things outside of me, But inside of me, there are two different elements acting. One of them is instinctual. It is um, subconscious. It is emotive, right? It is emotion, zeal even. Um, And the other one is strictly a matter of like power.
pattern recognition and symbolism. It's entirely inside the head. Even when we talk to each other, like it's all going inside our heads that you're hearing the sound, but the knowledge is all like in this imagined world of symbols we've created that we've created, God created by giving us language. So the human is all of that going on at once. And if in a moment where your language isn't able to process because your body's like, run away, (laughs) well, you're lying to yourself one way or the other. That's what it comes down to. And so my question for you, Emily, and here's the hardest thing I'm going to say to you, is that both of those things are a pattern that you repeated, and you're going to do it again unless you first answer the question, why am I lying to myself? What am I lying to myself about? Where is it? What do I need to resolve in my heart? And, and until then, you really don't want to find a guy. Pray for God to prepare the guy for you for right after you've figured out why it is your emotions and your intellect can't come to agreement on a guy. Because it's probably not really about a guy. It's probably about all your relationships in life and something to do with your childhood and the patterns that you inherited from your folks. This is always the case. It's just part of creation. We all pick up ethnic or uh, family system dynamics. They're the same thing. Ethnic's the old word for family system dynamics. You get a group of people, and they have three generations, and they live in a hole together. They get different. Right, uh, and so how do, how do you engage, right? And what did you bring from your family system dynamics, your ethnicity? What did you bring from that that is corruptive, traumatic, and is causing you to not allow your heart and your mind to work together? Christianity provides you a framework for asking that question safely, and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes even more so. And your pastor's there to be your guide. And I hope, I hope that this answer has been uh, help for you as well, Emily, on, on that level. We're gonna move on here to um, uh, is this the one that had the Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll do this one now, and then we'll go to a break after this one. This one's a little intense, and, and I, I kind of got to preface it a little bit. Um, so when I don't, I'm, I'll do it at the end. Jeff writes this. He says, I have heard a pastor state they no longer follow the liturgy within the divine service three that states, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Because... And the implication here is this is a Lutheran pastor, right? Uh, because it is not an accurate description of who we are as followers of Christ, it is no longer our identity. That's a very, that's a very brash thing to teach if you want to be on a, a, a Lutheran. So, without going further, cause it's important to ask, you know, are you fairly representing what he said? But without going further, if someone finds themselves in a situation where they're saying publicly out loud, the LCMS teaches this thing according to the scriptures, and I think it's wrong. I'm going to teach against it now. It's not really about the LCMS. It's about your claim to be a, a, a Lutheran of the Augsburg Confession and the Formula of Concord. And frankly, the moment you're teaching this or something against this, if you're an honest human being, you're going to resign your call. You can still tell all the people, I want to be your pastor, but we need to flee this demonic church body that's teaching us that we're all poor, miserable sinners for like centuries. <laughs> Yeah, right. So like like have some integrity. If you actually think that the liturgy of sin is wrong, it's not that we want to kick you out because we don't like you. Like you're not gonna like anything we do ever. <laughs> so like, like you're like like what are you doing? Like wasting your time with a with a um Don Coyote kind of reality. Uh so that but I think maybe this is more complex than that, but I think that answer is important. Is how you should see anybody who's out there publicly teaching something in direct contrast to what they actually are supposed to teach, right? The day that I'm like, yeah, Lutheran confessions and Lutheran heritage, they are in fact wrong. I, I'm, I'm going to stop being a Lutheran pastor. Now, I'm not going to stop being a Lutheran pastor because I, I think it's right. right. But if you find yourself on the other side, like, what are you doing? Go be a Christian pastor. That's great. 
right? But why are you trying to destroy something that's already fallen apart <laughs> in Lutheranism? So, all right, so he cites Hebrews ten eighteen that there is no longer an offering for sin, right? Yeah, so that, uh, you know, once sin has been uh, done, you can no longer make offering for it again, all this kind of stuff. Maybe we should look at that, though. Uh, he acknowledged that we recognize our sin, but we don't believe our sin should define who we are. Well, okay. That doesn't agree entirely with the part about it being our identity. And here's where he's missing the symbol, right? So, he, Or you're hearing him say that because you are not only a sinner, but are also always actually a justified new being with intellect and heart and mind and ability to do things and make decisions and be held accountable for your decisions now, that both of these things are true. Well, it's a great habit in the history of the church to try to have only one or the other and in teaching against one fall on the other side of the other. So I would agree with him that our sin should not be the only thing that defines who we are. And it ultimately is not the real thing that defines you who you are. What defines who you are is what God says about you. And so what he says about your sin does, in fact, define who you are as a sinner and should always be confessed, which is why we do it in the liturgy. Because uh, it's always true. I, I always have carried my flesh with me all week long. And here it is. And look, this body's done bad things this week. At the very least, I've thought evil things this week. And to say otherwise, again, it's just like you're just not in, you have a different spirit than us. If you're saying something different than that, like you're maybe not a Christian, <laughs> right? Now, I'm not sure that's what he's going to say. We're going to listen to him here in a moment. Um, and I haven't yet. And I got, I got no beef with you, pastor, whoever you are, in the sense of like, I don't, don't want to go after you, man. Um, like you teach what you got to teach, uh, but you know, honestly, why would you try to be not a Lutheran in a Lutheran church body? It's like the biggest hamstring you could give yourself, really. Like there's nothing helpful <laughs> for you uh, about trying to to teach against Lutheranism in the LCMS at this time in history. It's just not going to is not going to benefit you. You're better off on your own, independent. Uh, this is just strictly professional advice. Um, so unless you need to you need to save the LCMS, you know, and all our grandmas who are already dead from from their pietism of poor miserable sinner that you seem to be worried about. Anyhow, I, I don't know. I don't know who you are, and I, I, that's my point. Is I, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's wrong. Don't listen to it. Um, if it's wrong, uh, you, we cannot clean up this. And the authority structures that are there that should care about this haven't cared about this kind of stuff. Like it, it, I don't even know. We haven't listened yet. But imagine it's actual rank false teaching because there's been guys like this, real false teaching, millennialism, uh, or, or or maybe you know uh, against pre destination or something like that. And certainly close communion. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't even, we don't even do anything about it. It just, just kind of goes. And so just acknowledge like we're in the wild west here. It's judges. It's time of judges. The LCMS holds together as a fellowship of those who want to be faithful officially on paper. Um, that's not really what's holding us together. What's holding us together is uh, finances and health insurance and uh, accountability. The idea, most of the congregations want to be accountable. The pious people in the pew are desiring to be accountable for their faith. That's why they're part of the LCMS. So that is there. Um, but the system itself is self-preserving and self-destructive right now. And I don't know that we pull ourselves out. I'd love to. I mean, I, you know, why not? But, well, history is not on our side on that one. Um, in any case, uh, our sin should not define who we are. And I fully agree with him on that in the sense of if you're confessing your sins in such a way that you believe that that's all that you are. And that the other promises of God about you, by faith to be received and spoken into your life and trusted then, um, are not true. Well, then you're missing some of the real gold of the whole thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I want to hear what he has to say again still um, to make sure we're on the right path. But again, if you're... If you're if you're, I tinker with the divine service all the time. I'll, I'll create a transition word, you know, because, because it connects it or whatever. But like, if you're, that's never about I'm denying what we teach. And, and that's, 
if you're going to deny original sin, which is what you're accusing him of, I mean, that's a big deal there. We'll see if he actually gets there. I don't know. Um, if so, then why was it included with the device service 3? Well, it's in device service 3 because original sin's real, and you carry it with you all around your neck all the time. Uh, it's, in fact, a jeopardy to you. It can cause you to forget who you are in Christ and only be that identity as a sinner and in despair or pride run off the plank into the, sh- into the sea again and die, right? Um, Jude, dear heavens, is a warning against that. Um, you know, the Calvinists don't believe that. It's fine. Okay, you guys don't believe that. You're, you guys are going to be gone in 200 years. Your, your system is done. Um, the sacrament is necessary, and you're going to fade. So, um, anyway, re- I, I love you guys. Um, <laughs> if so, then, uh, why was it included within divine service? I, I said, because original sin is a real thing, and we are aware of it every week. And if you're not aware of it, then you're missing something. Um, is he trying to insinuate the Lutheran's view of confession of sins as a work? Maybe. So maybe he's saying, hey, you, my people, you kind of come in and stamp obedience every week by confessing your sins and doing this or oh I'm a poor but you actually don't believe you're different than the world and that's a problem we got to deal with that as a congregation if that's what he's saying like that's awesome like you have to say there, there is all sorts of industrialized rubber stamping Christianity going on in the LCMS there is and to lie about it is just it's just folly are there lots of faithful Christians yes tons maybe more but like what we're doing is not facing what's in front of us and realizing that there are people that intentionally want to tear the system down right that they really just don't want to be Christians and they're chasing greed instead and you can tell because they don't talk about Jesus when they talk and I'm talking about I'm not talking about higher admins now I'm talking about in your congregation and like I mean if you've known somebody for 30 years and they never talk about Jesus at church like I mean, go read the end of Jude again. You're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to go attack them. You're supposed to pray for them. You should pray for them. And, and recognize what a, what a mixed bag the church service is. It's a great net being dragged through the ocean. And so to, to tinker with it in such a way so as to say that a major portion of its confession, which is that all of us who come in here can't get in here on our own, is wrong. That's, that's a great danger. To tell people that once they've received the absolution, they should take it to heart. Right? They should know that that is their identity. And this is where it's a really interesting thing. To say we are sinners is no longer identity, so we should no longer say it in the divine service. What's going on in the divine service when you say you're a sinner? What's the next thing that happens? You say, I see my identity as a sinner. What's God say? I see your identity as justified. You're justified now. That's what I see. So you're kind of removing the drama of learning what you're trying to teach because you don't know the liturgy well enough to even know what you're doing, I guess. I don't know. Because it seems like it would be an argument for what you're saying, that the absolution is the identification of you in Christ in real time. Reminding you of your baptism that did it once for all, pushing you into the sacrament where it happens again as substantial reality. Yeah. Um, I, so, I, I, you know, this is where when we're alone and we're just kind of figuring stuff out on our own, we're dangerous too, right? We can, we can get in all sorts of trouble. Um, you would appreciate my thoughts. All right. So we're going to listen to what you, or it's, a, it's a kind of a, a mix of, of the clip you sent. Um, Frisbee put this together for me. What I really want here, though, and we're not publicizing anything about the name uh, of this person, because honestly, the last thing that needs to happen, this is a guy struggling with finding out why things aren't working. And he's frustrated. And, and, and I, I get that. Like, he wants his people to know that Christianity is not... It's not a time clock. And, and LCMS, if you've been active in the LCMS, you know that a good portion of the rest are time clocking it. And at a certain point, they stop and our numbers start decreasing and their kids aren't there and our kids aren't there. And are we ever just going to come clean on this thing, right? Uh, we need to repent. 
we're we're a we're a worldly church body can can uh, focus on the things of the world. Most of our church planning has been focused on the things of the world for 30, 40 years, listening to the world. Does this mean there's not Christians? No. What are you talking about? Christians like repenting. <laughs> so if you're angry at what I'm saying, that's what worries me. It's like, really? Like, we can't talk about reality. You get angry every time anybody does. Huh? That's the problem I'm trying to pull out. I called it insularity, you know, a year ago, and people freaked out. Was, well, we can't seem to talk about new ideas without, like, freaking out. It's, it's a weird thing. So I don't know. Um, but I do know, again, if you're going to deny original sin, um, then the LCMS is probably not the place where you want to build a church. Uh, it, will be, it won't work real well. Um, but here we go. At the beginning of the confession, for Lutherans, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee. Right? Is that correct? Should we identify ourselves with our sin? Not saying we don't sin. Of course we sin. But does our sin define who we are? I sin. I sin miserably. Absolutely. I betray my calling. I betray my identity when I do. But if I identify myself as a sinner, we are no longer, we no longer identify with our unholy actions, thoughts, and words. Yeah. So notice how he's missing the symbol. He's he's got an either or, rather than a both and. And God bless him. He's struggling for something. He wants he wants faith. He wants life. He wants zeal. He wants courage. He wants excitement. Um, but he's going to at this rate jump onto the wrong side. Uh, the the person who most reminds me of this kind of talk is Joyce Myers. Uh, if you're familiar with her stuff, um, she comes out of the LCMS as well, and it's all about uh, identity politics, actually, uh, and, and you know claiming kind of supernatural status for yourself. It's an early form or a, a tangential form of the prosperity gospel. Now, is he actually going to go this way? No, but is is what he said so far potentially going to be led this way? Yes. But he might also just be looking for ways of saying simul uses epicotter and, hey, guys, there's a Eustace here, <laughs> right? Like, we should care about that. Like, like that's a really important thing to wrestle with. And so, um, you know, it's not like he's necessarily going to be wrong. It just doesn't sound, it doesn't sound good so far. It sounds like he's running the wrong direction. By Christ, we are forgiven. Yes. So, how do you make this confession of sins that Lutherans have used forever uh, work? I think there's one way you can make uh, I'm not a big fan of it because I think it leads people who just show up to church on Sunday morning to think that this is who I am and my salvation then is in question. If the church is telling me... To I, call- I mean, I don't know. Do you preach? I think that answer stands on its own right there. ...myself a sinner, then how can I be sure that I'm saved? I think the one way you can make it work not a big fan of it. Do you preach? Do you teach? I think it leads people who just show up to church on Sunday morning to think that this is who I am and my salvation then is in question. I think you're granting them way too much credit. I think most people aren't paying attention. If the church is telling me to call myself a sinner, then how can I be sure that I'm saved? Oh, they just say it. They don't even think about what it means anymore. I think the one way you can make it work is to say, look, in the liturgy of the church, we are playing out the divine the divine story of salvation. Which is still real in present times since you confessed you sin earlier, so you're clearly still a sinner from every measure except for faith alone, which is the point. That before Christ came... See, I, I don't want to go any further, because the fact is, it's, it's, it's the symbol, right? Can, can you see this viewership? Like, he's asking an either-or question and teaching from an either-or perspective, and the answer in the Bible is a both-and. And as a result, what Jeff heard is, in fact, disturbing, because it sounds like one will be denied 
eventually. Now, he may not actually be doing this. It sounds like he's wrestling with this. Um, but again, this is where whew, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to want to make it work and to look for the secret knowledge that will make it all work. Um, I, will, I will proudly say <laughs> I am convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced my, my own be still and know that he has got approach to making it all work now will not in any way bring me everything I think about and want to have happen. <laughs> it's not all going to work. Uh, uh, but his plan is going to work. And so I'm going to roll with it and kind of think of it a little bit more like, uh, I hate to use Rick Warren, but he does talk this way. He's kind of right. It's a little more like the wave. Like, what's going on right now? Right? Like, let's roll with that with the Bible. Here we go. Right? Um, and that means the confessions. That means the liturgy, uh, at least in terms of when we worship. Uh, but in terms of my daily life, do I need to walk around? I'm a poor, miserable sinner. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. I'm a poor. Is that the daily liturgy? No, it shouldn't be your daily liturgy. It's not a huge part of the Psalms. Why is that? Well, go read the Psalms every day, and then you don't have to worry about it. If your people are reading the Psalms every day, I don't think they're going to be thrown off by the Lutheran liturgy too much. You know? And again, my comment about preaching, it's like, that's what you're there for, man. And I guess you kind of think you're doing it, but like at that very moment, like you just confess your sinners because you are. Now I'm going to proclaim that you are forgiven because you are. Like You're willing to, to, to talk against the liturgy. Just Just translate it better you know in real time once in a while just with different parts pick a different part every week help people understand what it really means right like you can that's that's preaching that's real preaching uh, that's what we really need so i don't know uh you know and and pastor guy out there whoever you are i really don't even know your name to me this is not personal at all this is iron sharpening iron so i hope you take it in that way um and again my advice is scattershot at you across a spectrum of people you might possibly be so whoever you really are that's awesome um be a good christian man and i'm pretty sure we're fine with each other um jeff uh, you know patience when you listen um uh, certainly uh if if a pastor is talking this way and really wants to change the divine service in a way that is dogmatic as they're saying that it's wrong it should be brought to the circuit before they they teach it publicly you know they really should be talking to the brother pastors about this and asking him you know i'm in the right place um i've committed to this job i know it's it's a company um all this kind of stuff so that's pretty important uh for honesty's sake isn't it interesting i know a story about a man who once resigned his call from the pastoral office because he was no longer in his mind, called to ministry. And I'm, I'm not sure I know why, but I know this. He kept preaching for two weeks or two months and drawing a salary on it. And then he left. And I, I think that's a fascinating display. It kind of says everything all in one own thing. Like who you are is who you are. And that's where then knowing who you are in Christ, as the guy was saying, is so important to know who you are in Christ, that you are not just a poor, miserable sinner. You're a poor, miserable sinner washed with the water of regeneration, breathed into by the Holy Spirit of absolution, and nurtured with the fruit of the tree of life. I mean, you're not dead. <laughs> you, know, you got something going on, like a three-minute break. We'll be right back. There we go, there we go. So I haven't talked enough about recently, Mad Mondays, the amazing e-magazine that goes out every single week totally for free like totes for free that's put together by you us the chill uh and the the mad christian network uh, headed up by frisbee the hand and the shadow broker of course and this is your go-to source for kind of everything the novelty uh, the deep thought and understanding the, the news that uh, not everyone else is showing you that really ought to be shown especially when it comes to those alternative narratives from say europe about things like covid um <laughs> so you 
know, it's a great it's a great thing. If you haven't signed up, go to Refist.com, click on the newsletter link there, and then our plus uh, menu there. And sign up. It's free. You will not be disappointed. Um, I still read it cover to cover. Uh, I skim my own work. And then I get for Frisbee. My goodness. The work that woman does is fantastic. You got to get this thing. Mad Mondays. Also, I want to share just briefly. This, this thing means something to me. This little binder here. This address book. You can see it says address. Addresses. I bought this in New Jersey. I think it was at a little tiny like bookstore right up from city spot coffee where i would go every day as a missionary and try to get to know the community uh long story got a couple got one adult baptism um things were rough though didn't nine months done but i I bought this and at the same time i was reading a i think it was oh what is it D D. there is a series of fiction books dragonlance that's what it is dragonlance so when i was a kid and i was reading like piers anthony um Xanth, Xanth, whatever series. Um, you know, my friends were reading Dragonlance novels, which are these like stories set in the Dungeons and Dragons world. They're written by all manner of authors. They're on the level of Star Wars universe or worse, right? Um, and uh, so I picked one up because I never had read them before. I'm like, I, I used to read a lot of fiction, especially at night. And so I tried and I picked it up and it had this dude on the cover. I thought, that guy looks awesome. I want to be like that guy. That guy's awesome. It's like he's a guard. And he was. He's like the sheriff of this town, which is a pretty cool town. The story just was useless. But I loved the image of this guy and I put it on this. And for a long time, this was like my pre-ever book, right? Like I would put my pastoral companion in here and my calendar and all this other stuff. Every book came along, and there's a bunch of other things I'm doing with smart notings. I'm not even really using a binder like this for these things. But as I've been working on a little project, a little side project, officially called DF&D, right? Dungeons and... Yeah, Dungeon Fast. There it is. Dungeon Fast and Dragon Furious. DF&D. Um, it is a... A D&D, Dungeons & Dragons spin-off game that I am attempting to develop initially for my family, but with the intent of creating a show that some of you got really excited about a while ago. And, and all I'm doing is saying, look, very, very slowly, piece by piece, this little, this little book of like stuff that I've collected. I mean, it's not just the book. Oh, I can't even show you. So I got, I got some notes in here. I got some notes back here. I got, oh, is that, a, is that an airship? What? Oh my goodness. It all fell everywhere. DF&D is still coming. So hang tight if you're excited. It probably will not be before Christmas. It probably will not be this year. But a, a game show run by Christians, not to be Christians, but to be goofballs, uh, in which you will have a chance to both both possibly put a team together um, and compete season by season, year by year, uh, with the potential of cash prizes. It is not gone. It is not gone. I was not lying. I know COVID, and there was a lot of change going on at that point. Um, it's really a matter of I'm taking it seriously, and so I'm not going to start a game show until I'm ready to actually game master the game show. Well... Little by little, little by little, what can I give you to like help you here? What if I, what if I told you, <laughs> what is that? Is that the Morpheus one? Right? Um, I don't want to show you anything. All I want to tell you is this. So DF&D, Dungeon Fast and Dragon Furious is built to do everything you love about Dungeons and Dragons with none of the drag. So Fast and Furious meets Dungeons and Dragons. The playtesting so far has been interesting. You can ask my two youngest about it. We playtested last night. Built new characters. They each died twice. They loved it. 
How does that happen? I don't know. We'll see. But I just want to let you have a hat tip. It's still out there. It's still a long way off. So don't get unexcited about it. Um, you can even pray about it if you want because it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing that could be a thing that's a thing. Let's get back to your questions that are more about what you're interested in. Oh, and that's going to go. That's why that does that. How can I get rid of this? Can I pull it off? No. How do I get rid of you? I cannot get rid of you. Okay. So don't worry about it. We'll jump to Trump. Why not? Why not, people? Sorry. I, I, <laughs> I listen to Shapiro, even though I really don't want to, and I don't very often. Like, like I try to like once a week. Like I watch his topics. I go on. I'm like, okay, I know if I let him get me, I'm going to be frustrated and angry in an hour. <laughs> Is it worth it today? You know, uh, you know, the, the first ever, ever, um, what do they call it, uh, open forum, non-debate, presidential debate. I think I'll listen to Shapiro's coverage of that. So I did. <laughs> He's right. He, I mean, it's, it's great. You can listen to the hour. He, it comes down to this. It doesn't matter who wins. What matters is the media is going to run the country. They are. And they're going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter who wins. Trump or Biden. It doesn't matter. They are lying Without fear, because they know, they think, a majority of the population will believe it. Who is they? A brief history of power. Whatever. The syndicate. But I, uh, uh, the point is, again, I don't care if you hate Trump. I really don't. Hate Trump. Vote against Trump. But go watch those two live town halls, and you tell me that this is open, fair debate. That this is a, an, a system that wants us to know what people think and really are doing with their jobs and their time and their money at the top level. And I don't care who's up there and how much you hate them and you can show how evil they are. If you think by voting for one or the other you're going to get rid of evil, that's, well, that's the American religion, isn't it now? So this is, this is really, I don't even know what to make of this. Have you seen this campaign to pit Trump's words against Christ? No, but since he is either Christ returned or the Antichrist, it would make sense. I mean, he has to be one of those two things. He's orange. So their website says there are 5 to 15% of Christian voters looking for an excuse not to vote to Trump. Define Christian in that sentence, please. They, this, they're not pro-life voters, are they then? Uh, this campaign actively seeks to turn them against Trump to ensure he's not reelected. It wants, okay, here's, here, here's the thing. This campaign wants you to be so arrogant in your view of what you think you're worthy of voting for, that you will overlook the fact that 40 plus years of Roe versus Wade work has just come to fruition under this man, and we could do it for four more years, regardless of what a jerk he is. But you care more about your arrogant, pietistic pride than the lives of humans. And that's this argument. Well, my conscience is clean. In particular, uh, well, let's, let's, look, let's just look at it. It's just so silly. And you know what? It's awful. He's a bad man. Or was. I don't know. I am too. If you recorded everything I ever said, ever, I said a lot of stuff on the internet. Go find it. You could do this with me, I bet. I bet you could. I'm pretty sure you could do it with Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Kamala, she'd step right up. Could you do it with Pence, I wonder? And that alone should tell you something. But, of course, we just hate that's all we want to do. So here it is. You know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And once Donald Trump said, I'd like to punch him in the, in the face. Jesus said it at the, as a, a pinnacle of his teaching on how to handle humanity. Trump, where'd he say it? I have no idea. 
His words matter. Yes, which is why their context would matter too. Maybe he was talking, he was quoting a movie and he was laughing about the joke and said, ha ha, I'd like to punch him in. No, he wasn't. He's actually a, a rude New York man who doesn't worry if you don't like what he says. Like most people from that part of the country who know they hate him because he's exposing their game um, on uh, real estate manipulation over centuries. Anyway, ah, brief history of power. Go to Coons. Um, <laughs> so yeah, have I seen this? No. It's sad. This will convince some people to vote for him because he's a mean person. And what will happen then is you will put one of the most active, radical, pro-abortion administrations into four years of power that may never end. His may never end either, I suppose. Both sides make that argument. doesn't matter. Uh, the, the un- Did you listen to Amy Comey Blair? I can't even, well, I can't even get her name right. ACB. Did you listen as she defended the fact that uh, Roe versus Wade could not be a super precedent, which would mean settled law? Because you're asking me a question about it in my confirmation hearing. Dude, that was so genius. That was like, drop Mike, leave. I'm in. This woman, God be praised for her. And pray for her. Because regardless of who's in the presidency, the Supreme Court are our royalty. They make our laws and decide who we shall be as a people. And pro-life versus pro-choice. <sighs> you think it's a one issue. If you think the, the right to be alive is a one-issue vote, you've not thought through your issues very deeply. So, whatever. He's a jerk. Okay, I'm voting for him because he's pro-life. Why are you voting for the guy who's not pro-life? Because he's nice? Oh, does he hold your hand while he slaughters the babies? I mean, what on earth? So, this is your question. I already did the answer, I guess. But your website says, or you did, I did this, uh, in particular, while we do not expect our president to be our savior, good, uh, we also don't expect his words to approach the teachings of Christ. On which topic? Letting babies live? Or whether you should be nice all the time? Which Christ never taught that, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, as people of faith, we will not give the president a free pass to speak words of hate, destruction, and cruelty under the guise of religion. So when he said he wanted to punch somebody in the face, that was under the guise of religion? I don't, I don't see that. I, I, it is true. There are some really weird Christians out there that are, like, religious about Trump and, like, preaching him, right? So, I, I, okay, maybe that's who they're responding to. And then I get that. But, like, still, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. True. I love James. So good. Why do I care if he's going to stop killing babies? Genghis Khan. Can invade. I mean, I, I don't really mean this because, God, what, that's, we, uh, you can't imagine the destruction that happened when Genghis Khan invaded anywhere. But he, if he invaded and stopped the abortions, part of me would be like, well, we deserved it. <laughs> you know, we brought innocent blood on ourselves. Do you know how afraid the ancient world was of innocent blood? And in materialistic arrogance, we have built a civilization on believing it doesn't exist. Don't tell me you're pitting him against Jesus. Oh, my goodness. It's just so radically self-driven religion on your part, people. I thought one of the major staff, or one of the staff descriptions was interesting. A major figure in post-evangelical thought. Post-evangelical? What comes after the gospel? Nothing. I, I don't even know. Is that a B? No, it's one of those silly red bugs. Um, I don't even know. What, what you have... Uh, how can I do this? Can I use the old liberals on themselves? The older liberals would teach you that Genesis wasn't written by Moses. Genesis was written by at least four different guys who really were spaced out over like centuries and eons so that much of it was written by a priestly class trying to ensure their power was not lost at a time when they had no real value to bring to society anymore so they had to convince everybody to keep giving them money at the temple. Okay, that's the plan. Okay, so that's what's going on. 
with this kind of stuff in churches right now. You have priestly classes, castes, people who have been born into church bodies, old church bodies, 100 years or 200 years older now, kind of like Rome got to be about three or four or 500 years in, right? And there's some money there. There's some property there. There's my dad and grandpa were pastors here. Can you imagine how with a weakening faith and a rising worldliness that the wealth brings along, you might just kind of think you need to shore it up for yourself more and more all the time? And live in a world where you're justifying yourself by making your primary thing you got to do is put up billboards to tell people that the president's a mean person, so don't vote for him. When all the other issues like peace in the Middle East or, um, again, pro-life Supreme Court uh, majority, regardless if we ever get to the cases, just on thinking about all other cases, believing humans have value. That's really important, right? Um, uh, so peace in the Middle East. Um, the new COVID treatments that he, I just heard of this from Dr. Drew yesterday, that he, the COVID treatment that the president got, he is mandating by executive order be gotten out to everybody everywhere. I don't know how he's going to do this. I don't know how the system can do this, but I mean, are you kidding me? I don't like the guy. I never wanted to vote for Trump. I didn't vote last time. But that campaign, again, it should tell you all you need to know in the other direction. You want to keep listening and playing with the worldly media that's going to spin you a song about American dreams? You go for it. I have been swamp foxed. And I remember that story to you. I've been swamp foxed. And I'm not going to swamp fox with a pistol. I got a sword. And it's one that the world don't know about, right? So uh, join me, would you? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't care if Trump wins, but I do care about a pro-life appointment and law very much. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Carl. <laughs> I'm sorry. I looked at the troll and it made me smile. Uh, I have seen there seems to be two different sets of the Ten Commandments. Oh, I love this question and I hate it because my answer is not the right one, I think. Um, I don't know. That's not fair. It's an unresolvable conundrum, especially if you can't renege yourself on things like how you numbered things 300 years ago. Hello, LCMS. Um, I have seen, there seems to be two different sets of the Ten Commandments. I know the Ten, we have been brought up within the LCMS, yep. Saw the other Christian groups break up the First Commandment into two separate ones, yep. And they turn and they take the last two and combine them into one. Do you know why there's a difference? Yep. And uh, why we do it the way we do it. Yep. I believe the East has a different numbering and the Jews have a different numbering. And I'm particular... I mean, I hate to be one who follows Jewish myths, but I think the Jews got this one right. Um, so what happened is this. The Lutherans basically received what the Western Church had in its pattern of catechism recitation, which isn't a long book. It is simply the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, generally speaking, as something that the parents were supposed to know. People were supposed to know this. If you're a Christian, you should know these things. <clears throat> um, and so... The numbering of the Ten Commandments developed in medieval times, not like in a direct line, things were not that clean, uh, but eventually came to what it was as Luther kind of received it. And if you go and you compare the text of that to the text of either of the places the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament, you find they're different. They're quite different. In fact, there's a lot more there in the Bible than shows up in the recitation of the Ten Commandments. Um, and... This is why Luther then adds the conclusion to the commandments, which is actually part of the first commandment that he puts back in at the end of the thing in the Lutheran catechism. 
So basically what we did was we inherited from the Roman Catholics their numbering system, which had two covets, um, which I think is odd if you look at the big text carefully. Um, but th- that's what we inherited, and we just like didn't worry about it too much either because, frankly, the point is to teach what they teach, not to have the numbers right because the text itself says he spoke ten words and he spoke a lot of words. <laughs> And then it's really not that easy to make 10 out of them. In fact, it looks like 13 or 14 uh, if, you, if you put it all together. So how are you going to line them up into 10 different things? And so, well, where did the Reform get their number? It's because they're iconoclasts, at least in theory, which be- is that they believe the Bible's prescription against graven images uh, means that you cannot um, make a statue and to some extent even a picture, uh, which is why in Reformed churches you generally do not see pictures until you see screens. They like jump all the way from no idols to a big idol, right? And they don't even think about it. They, you know, well, it doesn't matter. That's not part of it. So, for, But for the Reformed counting, uh, second commandment is you're not supposed to look at images. I don't know why they would insist on this numbering and continue to look at images. I, I don't understand that. My conscience would be just torn to shreds by this. Uh, but but um, I see it as, I, I see that the images, like the TV, I'm, I'm full on on a war against TV because it is a image that we worship. We sit there and go, oh, teach us, great wise one, make us happy, right? Like, like it seriously is worrisome what we're doing to ourselves as a, as a population. Um, but uh, the reason I think that's wrong is because it's part of the first commandment of having another god. Like, idolatry of an image is idolatry of a false god, you shall have another god. It's like, that's, that's kind of the Lutheran point and the Catholic point, too. The problem is then, okay, well, if you do that, then you end up with our numbering. What do you do at the end with covet and covet, right? Um, and I don't. When I say it in the morning, I don't even say ox, donkey, and everything that belongs to your neighbor. I just say don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. I sum them both up in one because that's what it means. And I want to know that. Actually, I think that's the right number, 10. So that our number one is Lutherans. You shall have no other gods. Is probably number two. And number one would be what Luther put at the very end. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, which happens to be the Jewish number, uh, which I'm partial to, right? The, the fact is, it shouldn't matter. And I'll tell you this too, even though I'm partial to the Jewish numbering, when I talk about them in Lutheran congregations, I use the Lutheran numbering. Why? It's our language. It's our code. We have a code, right? And if it's working and we have it, we should keep it. If you have to reteach the Ten Commandments to the whole LCMS from the ground up, we should probably renumber them. Fair enough. Uh, so that, that's where. Um, but the real thing to see is that the Lord spoke 10 words and they began with, I'm your God. <laughs> and, and they end with, you're not allowed to want anything ever. And it's kind of good news if you think about it. Uh, Echo gets into that in my other book, Echo, which I highly recommend you consider at some point. Uh, e, Melinda says this. Christ is here. Oh, this was a comment on last week. We did some Proverbs, the call of wisdom. And this was a comment that came through the channel. So I don't know if if Melinda will ever see this answer. I hope you do, Melinda. Um, But I think it's a good question. And it presses on some things that as American Christians, we really want to do. We want to know who we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit and our belief that the Holy Spirit is in us, with us. And yet, in such a way that we don't follow the 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 charismania of thinking that we tell the spirit what to do, <laughs> you know, or that we can grieve the spirit and imagine the spirit still with us. So, uh, Christ is here now in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? It's just kind of a blanket question. Well, yes. I mean, it's not wrong. Christ is also here now according to Himself too. So, if you really want to dig into Trinitarian theory, right? The Father is not ever in creation, per se. The Father is always mediated by Christ, who is the creative, or the face to the creation. So even in pre-incarnate sense, uh, the pre-incarnate conversations with um, God face-to-face were with 
Jesus, the person, whereas the Father dwells in this inapproachable light reality, which is pretty darn awesome. The only one who's ever been there, seen him, is Jesus. God, the only God has made him known. That's John 1. Um, so, uh, uh, so Christ, then, uh, is present now, post-incarnation, as the new Adam, which means he's actually, like, in the dust. I mean, when, when, when Yoda talks about, like, between the tree and the rock, he's talking about the spiritual force, and that's wrong. It's not Jesus is not a spiritual force behind everything. Like, by becoming one with Adam and then dying and breaking out of the dust again, like, the cosmos down to its most substantial particle that we can't even find because it's too small and doesn't exist except in, you know, uh, principalities or something like that. Like, like, he's got that tied to his flesh. Back out of the grave, right? Up to the Father's highest heaven, right? Uh, so Jesus is everywhere. But Jesus being everywhere and dragging creation out of decay into the highest heaven came with his statement that he's going to burn it all on the way. <laughs> Unless you're in him. Humans. So everything else is kind of like going to burn and then be recreated somehow. And we don't get to know how that happens. But we're going toward a world that's like this one but better. Like right. It's righted. The ship is the right way. Not all humans make it. Just humans that got the blood of Jesus. Right? Which is where his washing and his blood become so important. Um, so... Christ is here right now, according to his created, creating, Adamic stewardship of creation, right? And that in some way, as Adam makes all die, Christ makes all live. Whole creation, cosmos. That's not about salvation, per se, of the individual person. So then that comes down to, is Christ here in you right now? And that's where, is, is he here in the presence of the Holy Spirit? And I would contend, uh, yes. But you want to be careful about where you know this or how you know this. So, for example, as a sacramental Christian, as one who believes that when Jesus says, this is my body, he ain't kidding around, that when I eat Jesus, Jesus is here now in the presence of himself, in the presence of this bread and wine, and now in the presence of me as one with me, as his promise that I'm part of his body, the church, which will rise from the dead. So that I walk away and I walk out of church and I, I approximately am carrying the body of Christ. I am the body of Christ now. The Bible talks this way all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm in Christ. We just don't think this way as materialists in the West because we, we you know, rejected the unseen world the last 200 years or so. so. So there's that way in which Christ is here. But then now here's the thing about the Spirit's work with Christ. So we know that the Spirit is somehow connected to the breath of man and his life in the first place. Like That's the word, or connected to the word spirit, um, uh, breath. They all tie together, uh, both in Hebrew and in Greek, as not only what you are breathing, um, but what you are, um, what your soul is, right? Like your inner person is connected to this idea. Um, it's also connected to wind and the movement of things you can't be in control of. Like that word summarizes all of these things. Jesus in John 3, you know, the spirit blows where he will. You do not know Nicodemus because you don't know the scriptures. So where does the spirit blow? He blows where the scriptures are spoken. And this is where you're right to say Christ is here through the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you insofar as the scriptures are inside of you, all right? Like, insofar as you're just like, I got the spirit, how about you? No, no, you're just, you're just BSing. I'm sorry. For, you, you are. Like, like no, 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 no. If you're not going to confess the scriptures, if those words aren't your life ever, not even a little bit, um, then whatever spirit you think you got, it ain't the Holy One. So what the Holy One does is he makes you talk scripture, <laughs> and not like, I quote the Bible, but like, no, what you're thinking and saying becomes the worldview of the Christian or the essence of Christianity, it becomes Christianity. 
And so, yes, Christ is here now in the presence of the Holy Spirit according to his word, because he promises that his word is the enacting sword of the Spirit. And insofar as you pick up that sword and you learn to wield it, that Spirit is breathing within you and animating you. And so, at the end, a servant who's only done your duty, you kneel and acknowledge you've only done your duty. But in the middle of the great warfare, you're a stinking hero, man. Like, you're rocking on and ready to die, because you have a king... A king who is with you and in spirit, in inspiring. Ah, there it is. Inspiriting, right? Inspiring you. How is Christ in you by the Spirit? By inspiration. Where has he inspired words to inspire you? The holy scriptures that are inspired, right? So, um, uh, isn't, now, now moving on from that idea. To, <laughs> uh, to isn't lady wisdom or wisdom, verse 22, the Holy Spirit, why or why not? Um, so we're going to go, let's see, let's jump over there uh, to, oops, that's the wrong one. Um, to the text and verse 22 now so wisdom's been around for a long time but you're like you're kind of having the question about you know when she talks why verse 22 though oh i see the lord okay so again this is the one that's the argument over and we talked about this at length last week like if you take this too directly then it ends up being uh that either the person of Jesus, which is the way the early church understood this in the argument with Arius at the Nicene Council, um, 300s, and the creed comes out of this. Um, you would be saying, if this is if this is strictly Jesus, one-to-one, then God created Jesus as, a, as eternal God and not begotten. Like the, the difference in those words is what you're, you're dealing with. And then if you're going to take and say this is about the Spirit, which is what our friend did, um, same problem. Same problem. Uh, so, but but who is this wisdom? I mean, I talked about this at length last last week. Um, if we're going to take Scripture at face value, I would have to say, in answer to your question about the Holy Spirit, um, that the answer is just kind of wrong first. Because wisdom is the person of the Son, the eternal Logos. When John the Apostle calls him the Word, that intellectual idea and the ancient idea of wisdom are the same idea. Right, so he he's playing on this when he does John one. It says it's Jesus, not the Spirit. Right, so you got to take that for what it is, but then recognize what I said before. When Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, the Spirit descends on him, and they are in unity with each other. And he goes around saying stuff like, "This happens for you guys, not for me. I know what I'm doing. You know, and you guys don't know. You know, here's and John's like, there he is, the Lamb of God. I saw the Spirit descend on him. Right, so." The Spirit is with Jesus, and they're always working in harmony, but never so that you would see the Spirit. And that's kind of the key. So if you're going to go look for the Spirit in you now, you're going to look for the words of Scripture, not for some other thing. And every time you find the Scriptures being confessed or believed in you, then you can say, that was the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, I got the Holy Spirit. I would not say, he is risen, and mean it, if I did not have the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit talking. Yay! (gasps) Breathe deep and say it again, right? Believing, according to the words is a very different thing than just believing according to whatever I feel like is a spirit today. Yeah? And so your question... Oh, but train of the confession... Oh, it starts every time. Um, so, a poor, miserable isn't wisdom or lady wisdom, verse 22, instead of the Holy Spirit, why are we not? Right. So, um, I made the case that you cannot say it's specifically any one person of the Trinity, but is typical of one of them, and the type, the typicalness, is that one who is word that justifies itself. And again, Luke 7, 57, 53, Jesus' wisdom is justified by her children. And he says that to say, look at my results. 
That's really what Jesus says. And we can't say that, by the way, the same way. <laughs> um, although a little bit you can with faith. Um, but, you know, if you're actually going to believe, you're going to believe what we all believe. And you can see it grow when you try. Read the Proverbs. Try, you know, transcribe it. You'll find out. Um, uh, do, do it with Romans. Man, that'll hit you. Uh, Unto thee. All right. There we are. We're back. We're back. How might I lose? I lost like 38. I lost the internet there. Sorry, everybody. I was trying to say, and I think I can continue the thought. When the thing that's a symbol pointing forward to a fulfillment gets fulfilled, you cannot hold the fulfillment to the limitations of the symbol as a symbol. So wisdom is, in Proverbs 8, a symbol of Jesus, of who Jesus will be to the world. Not the Spirit, but Jesus. And that's why, because Jesus is king. He's the one you're supposed to see, not the Spirit. There's nothing in there to tell you you're supposed to look at the Spirit anywhere in the Bible. Uh, Rather, the Spirit will point you to Christ. So um, that type of voice that calls with clear truth that undoes evil, that's who Jesus then ultimately comes and is. He's the fulfillment And so in describing what wisdom is by itself that any man can have as a gift of God in the created order, that verse, verse 22, is about that. But that is a reflection of the Godhead of Jesus himself. So what you see in that reflection of that woman is like if you look through a foggy glass or somebody's reinterpretation of the reality of Jesus through some sort of like postmodern fusion thing or something, right? Uh, And you get that instead because it's through a mirror dimly. And now in Christ's fulfillment, we have the full thing, the king, the king, right? Who really, Solomon was a type too, and he wasn't a woman. <laughs> I know he was the king who spoke wisdom. So um, hopefully that, that helps with that. And the reason not the Holy Spirit is because we're not supposed to look to the Spirit. The Spirit works with Christ. Where you find Christ, the Spirit's there. Uh, look to the words of God to be proof of the Spirit in your life and trust that when the words of God are in your life, that is the Spirit at work in you, but that the Spirit really doesn't want you to see the Spirit. The Spirit wants to breathe out of your mouth the words of Jesus. <sighs> Spirit, right? Okay, so cool, cool, cool. Cool. I still think I have one more at this uh, this juncture in the morning. How are y'all doing over there in listener land? I did see there was a super chat from uh, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Have you uh, had you met me for lunch and some good conversation? I would have happily paid to cover your meal. Um, thank you. Um, you were down in the fort, right? There's some others that reached out for that reason too. Nothing personal. Information takes a two weeks or so to get to me. Um, so unless it's a long-term trip. Um, but yeah, fresh eggs sounded awesome. Uh, those of you who are willing to hand them to me. Uh, we haven't had some since we moved. We had to get rid of our chickens. So we lost our fresh eggs. Um, all right. Let's dig into Brian's question here. Uh, it's, it's a little more lengthy. Uh, he says, hey, Pastor Fisk, what would you say to someone who struggles with forgiveness and the warning of Jesus after the Lord's prayer that if we do not forgive the sins of others, their trespassers, their trespasses, that our Heavenly Father will not forgive us? Yeah, that's rough. I believe that Jesus doesn't undo with his left hand what his right hand is doing. So when Jesus says, um, I'm going to forgive you, And then we pray, forgive us as we forgive others. We're not so much asking as if he's not going to forgive us. We're asking that he would teach us to be what he has said we are. So that my forgiveness of others would reflect his forgiveness of me. And that that would be built within me. That's the prayer. I don't care how you translate it. 
That's the prayer. And, and if you're praying something different, yeah, it's a problem. If you're praying like, stop me from sinning, well, you're in the wrong petition. <laughs> you know, stop me from sinning is lead me not into temptation. It comes next, right? After you're forgiven, you say, please don't lead me into temptation. Uh, but the, the forgiveness of sins prayer is a recognition of the God you're praying to, that he forgives everybody. And so, yeah, no, Lord, Lord, I want forgiveness and I really don't want to hold it against anybody either. That's where I'm at right now, right? That, that's the prayer. It's a great prayer. Huh? By the way, this book, Echo, uh, has extensive talk like that about the Lord's Prayer. It's probably the best part of the book. It could have been three books. A book about the Ten Commandments, a book about the Creed, a book about the Lord's Prayer. Maybe we should re-release it that way, CPH. It's up to you guys. Um, but the section on the Lord's Prayer, Brian, I think is going to hit you where you want to get hit. There is a person in my past that I have struggled to forgive for a long time. I know how that feels. I believe that God has changed my heart to forgive him and even love him. Oh, I thought you were talking about yourself. Ah, yeah, other people? Yeah, that too. Um, but there's a lot of doubt that he may, uh, that maybe I haven't really forgiven him because I remember the wrongs against me. And it's frustrating me, uh, to me that he would never admit to do anything wrong. Right. So, no, forgiveness does not require that you believe that they're right and that you never feel bad about it again. Like, that's ridiculous. Forgiveness is you declaring, I, no matter how I feel, even though my feelings might be here, they're wrong. And on judgment day, I plan to be innocent with you. <laughs> that's forgiveness. If that's what you want, I don't care how you feel afterwards because you're struggling as a human with a similar saint sinner reality. You're going to be having all sorts of mixed emotions. But what trajectory are you on? Are you on the trajectory where your enemy and you stand before Jesus at judgment day and you're like, I forgive you. And he's like, I forgive you too. Rock on. Like, or are you like, I don't want that day to come. What trajectory are you on? So my worst enemies are the people I pray for the most. I don't like them. I want to. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's something that I have to admit. I probably won't ever, like, as soon as I made this enemy a friend, do you think I would not have another enemy somewhere? This, the world we're in, you know? Continuing with Brian, he says, part of me wishes I could be reconciled with him, but he is someone who has caused me so much pain and anxiety and been unwilling to admit the wrongdoing. Right. So when the patterns are there and they will not repent of the patterns, you do need to remove yourself from the situation in the personal relationship. It's just the way that it is. And, and the New Testament says this in different terms, but the easiest one is flea false teachers. <laughs> That's just straight up. Uh, Jude, again, has just blown my mind this week. You know, Jude talks about how you're supposed to judge your neighbor at church. You're supposed to. And then you're supposed to be scared for yourself. That's how he ends. Judge your neighbor with fear and then show mercy to them. Right? Like, like that's so different than the, oh, you can't read men's hearts. Look, you're right. You're not supposed to go around fixing people's lives. You're supposed to go around being willing to forgive people who hurt you. There's a big difference between those two things. Right? And it happens then when you realize that the forgiveness is not going to be your magical happy land. The forgiveness is going to be your decision to acknowledge your wrong in the situation. Uh, or your limitations or i mean so so for example he's been wrong and you're and you're not wrong and it's a pattern and he's abusive or she or whatever i i get that i have that same reality in my life we have people we do not talk to for the reason that we simply cannot trust them but it doesn't mean that i want it to be that way and it doesn't mean that i don't pray for reconciliation even though i don't believe it's possible in this life honestly and may never be because, frankly, until one is not lying about their unbelief, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, so it is what it is. You have to draw those lines. And yet you, it's okay to believe that the world's not going to reconcile with Jesus. And so if you're with Jesus and this individual is not and does not want to be, well, 
That's interesting. Now, if you're both on the same team, but you've learned you can't play nice together, so you just split teams, like, that's okay, too. There's a place for, like, our personalities don't work together. We're going to just move on. And that can be hard and filled with pain because we're all similar users at Epicotter all at the same time. Uh, but it sounds to me, again, like you're, you're wrestling with this view of, of forgiveness that's strictly an emotional happy feeling. So this is counter to that conversation earlier that we had about emotions, right? Like, like we're way emotional. This is super emotional. Like, forgiveness isn't emotional. Like, you don't, you don't, <laughs> why don't we believe that? If the LCMS is so emotional, why don't we believe, why do we always get this question? Why always struggle with whether or not we've forgiven people? It's because we've been teaching that forgiveness is an emotion. And it's not. Forgiveness is a decision to believe what God said about them at the cross, that it's true, that they're forgiven too. And that you're going to pray, Lord, help me see that in them while I remember how much I need it myself. Uh, yeah, part of my wishes, uh, oh, yeah, I read that paragraph. Two more paragraphs. I talked to my Lutheran pastor about this person. He told me, though without certainty, that this person probably was manipulating me. Yeah, it's a good chance. So don't go back into that. I mean, don't hear me saying go back into that. Don't. If you get out of a manipulative relationship where you know that this person is lying and twisting things to control you and you get free, you stay free. You don't go back to that. Um, now how do I have assurance uh, that I've forgiven this person? You say, Jesus Christ, I would like to forgive this person, and I feel bad about it, and that's about all I can do. And then you trust Jesus. <laughs> he's your God. He's not, he's not like trying to trick you. He knows how bad you are. He's got a plan, right? Give it to him and walk forward according to his word. Say, oh, no, what can I see now that's not this problem that would actually make me grow today? And that would actually be growth right there. Um, there are things I've done in my response to him, but I apologize in email. I never heard back well. Email is not the greatest way to reconcile. I hate to say it to you, but it's true. Um, I honestly think this person is a sociopath. Well, then why'd you send him an email ever? Uh, and has really strong personality and acts like he has been caring, but everything with me tells me he is malicious. Yeah, right. Those people exist, and there's books about it, and you should read them. And then you're doing the right thing. Stay away. But your guilty conscience is the way they control you. They use shame and your past trauma and your neediness to keep you needing them. Paul says this about the false teachers in Galatians, by the way. He talks about how they make much of you to no good end. They only make much of themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's all there. At the end of the day, my friend, Brian, here's the thing. You've forgiven him. You have. You've tried. Don't let him and the lies of the devil about forgiveness being something like we, we actually enact. You don't enact forgiveness. You don't have the power to forgive anybody. Where, who gave you the right to forgive people eternally? Except Jesus who said the whole church can do it to everybody. And so all you got to do is acknowledge that that's just true. I might not feel right about it just yet. I am still a sinner, but I'll figure it out eventually because the Lord's going to drag me, rejoicing, into heaven. So, so, so know that, man. And then, you know, ease off on yourself. You're just beating yourself up over nothing, really. Over the love of a neighbor that you want to be the God of. So it's not really over nothing, is it? Um, stop being God. God forgave you. God forgave him. It's not reconciled. Just don't be a jerk next time the guy shows up. Be friendly and let it be. Let it be, you know. Uh, my conscience won't let this go. I forgive you. Uh, how do I let it go and, and stop thinking about it? I forgive you. Uh, read a book. <laughs> I will watch a movie. Uh, smart note the Proverbs. You really want to? If you haven't started yet, I've been saying it over and over again, but maybe you haven't started yet. Like every time you think about it, go pick up the Proverbs. Don't just pick it up. Pick up a pen and paper. Start smart noting it. Write it down. Read, write, read, write. Not verbatim. Thought, 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 thought. Call me back in two weeks. Take a towel. I think that'll work. I really do. Let's try it. Um, this is a brother in Christ, which makes it so much harder. Yeah, it really is tough. Um, so, uh, Pastor, um, Dr. President Matthew Harrison once said a very wise thing at a conference I was at that was on a gentleman named Weineken. 
who was the second president of our church body, and a lot of history about a guy named Walther, who was the first president of our church body, uh, was talked about, but then also conversation about a gentleman uh, named um, uh, Leah, who is not in the history of our church body directly, but indirectly, because he was always in Europe, but he sent a lot of missionaries over here and had a great impact. Walther and Leah were not close. Let's just say we actually kind of split from some people over them not liking each other. And on the surface, it was a theological issue. But what Harrison said, which I thought was really interesting, because he's read all the like like the the transcripts of their conversation. Like this is back in the day for Walther to travel to, to talk to Sasa, uh, to talk to Leia uh, in Europe was a massive undertaking for a guy who also at the time was like the seminary president, the church body president, a senior pastor at a local church that had you know multiple services every weekend. He's going to go to Europe on a boat. <laughs> right, so it's a big deal. And they get over there to try to talk about this missionary endeavor. And from what, again, I'm just going to rely on Harrison as a historian here, but he says it's, it's almost like they just talked past each other. And it's almost like Walther just wanted him to say it the right way and he wasn't going to budge in the relationship. And it was about their personalities from that point on. And I, I think that's real more often than not. And that we, we find the theological things to argue about after our personalities contract, the problem is that has real effect. So I don't like you. You don't like me. So I find something about you that you said that I'm going to say is wrong just because I don't like you. And then I cling to that more than the actual you, right? And I, I use that against you, and I start making my theology about that. And over time, I actually end up just as off base as I think you are. And you do too if you fight back with me, as opposed to together coming to the scriptures and saying that this thing has to correct us every time. Of course, left to our own devices, we're going to make stuff up. Of course we will. And of course, our personalities are going to make us talk past each other. What do you, have you read the Bible? I mean, you know, Babel? You heard of this thing? You know, it's, it's kind of important. Uh, so in the distinction between man and woman, it has an influence on things. So um, I don't know if I can bring that all home. It's important to believe in an age of dying words, of languages that are falling apart, of people who can only talk with slogans. Of a, um, it reminds me. I'll tangent. It reminds me of a Star Trek episode I saw. I think about this episode a lot. Someone can probably find it, put it in the in the comments or whatever. I'm not a big Star Trek fan. I grew up with parents who watched it, which meant that I sort of became a fan on Sunday evenings for the next generation, especially when Spock came back, um, which was very disappointing, by the way. But the Romulans were pretty pretty cool, uh, and Klingons. Like you had real. I was gonna say a descriptive word, a real barbarian Klingons, uh, as opposed to the old Star Trek. Anyhow. Um, there was an episode where they come across, the show is like, you're on a spaceship and you find new aliens every week and it's weird and you almost die and then you get out of it right every week. Um, they find this species, this group of people, humanoids who are, are space born. They're traveling in spaceships, but they've broken down the spaceship broke and they're kind of stuck there and they have a signal that's asking for help. And, uh, when they're talking to them, they realize that. They're so intellectually superior to this group of people that they can't really have a conversation because they don't listen well enough down where they are. They keep sloganing back up confusion, trying to get toward a really simple point when it's a more complex thing. Like, can we teach you how to fix your thing? And they're just like, part, 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 right? And, and it's really illustrative 
of how without language or with an undeveloped f- sense of language, you can only get so far in your communication. At the end of the day, they end up being smarter than you think because they are, they're dumb intellectually, but they're smart wily. They steal the ship and stuff, right? And figure out there's more tech and they entirely live off of pirating tech, which is fascinating. But I think also then really describes a, what American civilized life, uh, you know, part, part, slogan, slogan, say it again. Give me brand pirate some tech. Here's my magic that makes me live safe in a box and nothing can harm me ever, right? Is it worth it if you can't think anymore? And to believe that, it, look, you can watch it happening. You want to know how over, over 450 years the Jews in Egypt became slaves? All it takes is someone to put you in debt in one generation and then a little more in debt the next generation together as a group. And then the only way you get out is you sign on the dotted line. I guess I'm owned now. And if you got student loans, it's been more than five years since you graduated. Government owns you. Got a mortgage? I do. Bank owns you. You're not free. Now, should you be free? Not necessarily. But to see what's going on right now in the American experiment is the gradual indentured servitude of the uh, the working class uh, by a global elite. Um, Dad's probably crazy. I don't know. Why wouldn't the devil just spin it any way he can to get us to kill our children more? Seems to be what he's been doing. So I'm not really worried about trying to stop the big thing so much as acknowledging that the fight that's happening is a fight of words, a fight of language, and that being Christians who can read and think in general, but then also have the wisdom of Christianity guiding our common sense all the way, we're going to be a lot like those Star Trek people uh, running into that other race in about, well, maybe right now, uh, uh, but at the very least in 10, 15, 20, 40, 100 years. 100 years of this education and this television and this sugar on a population, you think they're going to, what do you think is going to happen to us? It's, it's not good. It's not good. Um, And it makes me think of the past of American slavery as being a terrible, terrible foreshadowing of what an antichrist civilization could do to a great portion of the world through Big Pharma uh, and telling you it's for your own good, especially if you're unwilling to think about it. Um, Now, why do I care about this? Do I really care about my flesh? Yeah, a little bit, probably too much. But I'm trying to gear myself up to like dying's not a problem. What I care about is not letting anyone make me forget who I really am. My actual identity, which is what that other pastor is getting at. And that's why he's right. That's why I want, I want to commend him for struggling. Even if I don't agree with where he came to, he's struggling with the right problem. Faith without works is dead. And that doesn't mean go make a list. I mean, Christians, if we as a group of people, as we, because James is written to, by the way, all those yous in James are plural. James is written to a congregation. Faith without works is dead congregation. If you as a congregation cannot bridle the tongue of the congregation, the ship's in trouble. It is now. And I can't speak for your congregation where you are. I can only speak where I am and for who I am. And what I know is that the fight we've been fighting the last pre-COVID however long has been meet and right and deceived. Because it's much deeper is much deeper. The zeitgeist is going at the meaning of meaning and the meaning of man. 
If you've never read C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man, I encourage you to do so. If you've never read His Hideous Strength, I encourage you to consider it. <laughs> it's a little tough to read. <laughs> but um, this is a real war, man. This is a real war. And it's not like you don't need – don't go buy a gun. It's not about a gun. Pick up your Bible and start acting like it's a magic book that has power to stop the darkness from swallowing your breath in inane, ignorant, foolish disbelief and fear. And it's all kinds of my business to help you believe that more. Yeah, thanks for watching the show, everybody. I think I've promoted almost everything that I should and can. I didn't talk about without flesh why Christianity is dying, even though Jesus is alive. This is about how if you don't have the Lord's Supper at the heart of your church, that's why your church is dying. So you should think about it a little bit more. Echo will take you through the basics of Christianity. Like it's the first time and you never heard it before and you'll feel really good about it. And broken is the way to expose the devil's lies. That is how he uses your feelings, your mind, and your body to trick you into believing what the Bible does not say. And where to go? I threw it over there. Talk them into it. Of course, we went through it this morning. Um, the real deal, if you want to slowly grow in both wisdom, prudence, smart noting capabilities, and make yourself talk about Jesus with the conviction that you're actually in him, that's the book for you. Yeah. Um, I love that you support me on Patreon. That is really what makes this happen. I've continued to watch that gradually work as a plan for developing not only my income, which is kind of where we're at, but flipping. We're right on that verge where I'm starting to put more and more every month into development of other things. And that's exciting. That's how we, we can build. Now, to get to the point where we're really hiring employees... <laughs> healthcare is a very real thing in our world today. We want to stay in movement as long as possible, but that movement does have me just yapping at you at the center of our network. Oh, did I say join the Mad Christian Discord? If you want to go further, if you want to go deeper, talk to people in the comments now, later, otherwise, send a message to refuse.com slash contact through that page there um, and get into the Mad Christian Discord where there's all sorts of corners for study. I've started a new channel there called the Elusive Channel. You can find it if you look very and you'll see me there posting random videos and um, uh, writing snapshots of stuff I'm smart noting from my study, whether it's Proverbs or the book I'm going to preach the week uh, this week or, or what have you. It's just begun. Um, there's also a great place, uh, the Hebrew Roots place, where I'm asking questions about Hebrew. There's a nice, nice dig um, uh, into the word dust there at the start, which I'm convinced is connected to Genesis 3 and uh, in more ways than one when the serpent's supposed to eat of the dust of the earth. What does that mean? Um, so uh, a place to study Hebrew with others. And then there's all sorts of hootenanny. You can get your meme fix. You can get your video game fix. Uh, just when you get in initially, make sure you look at the pin notes and um, then ask around. Say, hey, who's here? Help me understand. Because it is a little like a... It's like a playground. If you've ever... I don't know how to describe it. Unless you played a video game. Like, the only thing I can compare it to, when you first drop into Mad Christian Discord, I mean, you're parachuting into chaos, okay? And in the middle of this chaos where you land, you're not even really landing in Gen Pop. You're landing in, like, the Desert Channel. Like, anything that's new shows up in Welcome to the Madness. If you click on the pins, you'll have some information about where to go next. But nothing really happens in Welcome to the Madness. We need a place where people just show up, right? So it's, it's like you're spawning, uh, you know, in the video game in the level one, you know, building place. And then you got to hop over from there to Citadelia, which is what you got to understand is like a, it's like a gen pop channel. Everybody who's in the Mad Christian Discord can talk in Citadelia, can see Citadelia. It's the public street. It's the water cooler. 
You can talk in there about anything you want. It just might be kind of hard. And if you're looking to start a conversation, you might not find as many people there interested in that topic right then. But that would be how you would develop a channel. That is, you find that you and some other people that are part of this group who trust each other and you're connected to other people higher in the network who trust you, uh, you're like, we would like a channel about this topic because we're always talking about this. Well, then you get the right to create it and we'll help you do that. You also have to monitor it. Here's the thing. If there's ever a fight, if there's ever what what um, real real hatred going on, like big deceptions and lies, you don't get to mess with my channel like that, right? You don't get to mess with my network that way. So we will put the kibosh on you if you cannot manage yourselves as Christians, but we're going to trust that most of us can do that and that basically self-regulation of the personalities will handle much of this. Um, of course, I will be the one that gets involved if there really is an issue. And I can just tell you, if there's an issue and you're being a jerk, I'm just going to kick you out. I, I mean, we don't have time in this war to fight in the corner of the internet with ourselves about a tangent. <laughs> we just don't, right? Um, so if you want to come and make trouble and be a troll, we'll, you know, we're going we're gonna to hunt the trolls. But the real goal is just to be there and find a network of people who you know that are connected to others in a broader network. So when we want to build in a direction, we can all go, Rawr! you know, um, what do they call that? Um, flash mob, like Lutheran online flash mob. Rawr! But most of the time we just hang out. And there's some of there. There's a couple of you out there. You're in Discord all the time, right? You're always there. I'm never there. Um, in fact, I kind of want Discord to be your last stop off the internet. Like you go to Discord and then you get off the internet. But that's a long, that's a long goal. Uh, it, it, you should get involved if you're not. It's like a Facebook for Lutherans only. Not that's, I shouldn't say it that way at all. It's a Facebook for Catholic Christians only, which means we don't boast about Lutheranism, but we just say what the Bible says. And it's, it's pretty good stuff. Um, it's there for you to, to link up with Mad Christianity, uh, to, um, to figure out how others can uh, help you. I, I told this to, who was this? Wolf Mueller, I think. He had this really cool idea this week about, I forget what it was, one of his projects. And he's like, ah, but I need someone who can do this, that, this, that. I can't remember what it was. I was like, post it in Citadelia. Go in there. Is anybody interested in helping with this idea? And, you know, especially if you're Wolf Mueller, right? People are going to respond. So, but see it that way. This is a place where you can meet other Christians and these Christians will have a similar trajectory to yours in that they think I'm onto something. Right, so the common denominator in Mad Christianity is that if you're in that Discord space, you think Fisk is on to something. He might be wrong about all sorts of stuff, but but you kind of got to pay attention, right? That's what it's there for. So come, pay attention. You know, support, grow, learn. Let the iron sharpen the iron, and believe we're all in this thing together, one una sancta. Even if we can't all commune together, because we haven't hashed that one out yet. So, Mad Christian Discord, Patreon, yada yada. I hate doing commercials. I really do. Um. So I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. That's the, uh, the in the Elusive channel, you got a little poem on the Lord's Prayer. That's one way to say it, yeah. And then a Ten Commandment uh, thing there, too, Elizabeth points out. Awesome. Yeah, check it all out. I'm going to go. It's the end of the day. I can never stop talking because I want to say really cool stuff and have it make sense at the end. Doesn't that feel like a letdown? <laughs> so with that said, I'll see. Maybe I can just train train myself to hit this button at the right time. So, my friends, my friends, my friends, um, don't wall on the muck with those who have no hope.
Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>